You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 513. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1B at APG headquarters in Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 11th of March, 2022. Today's episode, a Cessna pilot makes a perfect landing after a catastrophic engine failure. An aircraft cleaner swaps life vests with blocks of cocaine. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, Giants of Ukraine. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 513 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Good evening, everybody. Hi there, Jeff. A little bit short on the ground tonight, I see. Yeah, we are, but we're going to make up for that in just very, very witty satire. Scintillating. Yes, scintillating uh, content. Oh, who's that? Ah, from her studio in Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director is Liz Piper. Good day, everyone. Glad to be here. Excellent. Glad to have you with us. And that's it for the crew today. So let's go right on into the news. Stand by for news. All right. First in the news lineup is an update. Uh, you'll recall us talking about the uh, Aerosucker Boeing 737-200 registration uh, hotel <laughs> kilo. Aerosucker. <laughs> yeah, that's what it says. It says A-E-R-O-S-U-C-R-E. Yes, it, yes, it does. Yes. Uh, okay, Aerosucker. I wonder what they call their passengers. <laughs> passengers sucker. <laughs> I guess it would be what Aero Sucre, um, that 737 that uh, we saw some. Uh, what would you call it? Security video of the thing making a very low pass over a over a house, and uh, they said something about it possibly hitting a tree. And uh, we kind of poo pooed that idea and thought it was just probably just the jet wash from the 
uh, from the wings and the, or the jet wash or the the turbulence from the uh, the wings. Uh, what is it called again? Wake uh, wake, turbulence. <laughs> wake turbulence, vortex, That's wing stuff. vortexes. That thing. Uh, I, let me pause for a second here, folks. I don't know what's going on with me, but uh, my vocabulary today is not good. It's really, really not good. <laughs> it's worse than normal. So uh, please bear with me. I'm going. I'm going to try my best. Anyway. Uh, so an update here uh, it showed that uh, the let's see, Columbia's Aeronautica Civil reported the uh, occurrence as a serious incident. They released their preliminary report in Spanish. Uh, the aircraft commenced takeoff on runway 7 at maximum takeoff power, winds from 060 degrees at 4 knots in daylight, visual meteorological conditions. V1 had been computed at 130 knots, uh, indicated uh, V-rotate at 132 and V2 at 138. According to the crew reports, all parameters remained normal during the takeoff roll. The aircraft rotated and became airborne. The landing gear was selected up. While the gear was moving, the aircraft struck the top of a tree. Immediately following this contact, the left-hand engine, JTAD, generator failed, and the left-hand engine lost power. The crew performed the related checklists and, with the parameters present, decided to restart the left-hand engine. The engine started and stabilized, however, indicated high temperatures. The aircraft climbed to 2,500 feet. The crew decided to return to Puerto Correno, requesting ground support. The crew was unsure whether the landing gear had been compromised during the contact. The crew extended and retracted the landing gear with satisfactory results. The crew computed VREF at 135 knots indicated with flaps at 40 degrees and landed safely on runway 7 about 20 minutes after departure. After landing, the aircraft turned around to backtrack runway 7 back to the apron when emergency services reported smoke from the left-hand engine, but no fire was observed. The crew shut the engine down and taxied to the apron. An inspection of the aircraft the following day revealed vegetation embedded in several joints of the slats, leading edge of the left wing, and engine number one ingestion of vegetation by the left-hand engine was evident. The tree struck at position, and then they have some lat longs here. Uh, the tree was the 14. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you see the slide there, and it's pointing to the tree off to the right, uh, the extended runway center line, maybe slightly left. Um, let's see, the, the tree was 14 meters, 46 feet high, and located 295 meters past the runway end. So, turns out that uh, it, it wasn't, the initial problem wasn't the engine. The initial problem was that for some reason they didn't clear that tree at the end of the runway, and it hit, the, the, the left engine hit the tree, and the left wing, I guess, and that's what caused I'm I'm surmising here from this preliminary report that uh, that's what caused the issue with the overheating uh, loss of power in the number one engine. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I I think yeah. I it took me several goes to try and work out exactly, and the preceding paragraphs don't help. But the area you've highlighted, Jeff, which is following the report, that makes it pretty clear that they uh, they hit a tree, lost power. Um, shut the engine down, restarted it. I'm curious to know why they did that. Um, because normally, uh, shut down if you've had engine damage uh, and you've got a good yep. reason why the engine shut down, you don't attempt to restart because right. you could make your life really hard. Uh, you only would do that in dire circumstances. For example, you couldn't main, maintain altitude and you just needed that engine, regardless of the fact that it might uh, blow up on you, um, because you might not make it. In or around the circuit to get the aircraft back on the ground. 
So yeah, I, I think you have read it exactly right. And I think your analysis was also good in that uh, for whatever reason, it didn't um, climb above the trees. It it could have been a badly flown takeoff. I think that's probably unlikely. Um, you know, takeoffs are, are really a no-stress maneuver normally once you're at that point off you know, off the ground. Um, people very rarely mess that up. Um, it's, I don't know, they're at takeoff power, so they're at basically the maximum power they can get. So there's probably, it's unlikely to be any kind of a other thing we might have thought of, like a miscalculation of the flex power, if they were doing a flex takeoff or reduced power takeoff. So it could be either the engines were already malfunctioning, not producing enough thrust, or, I don't know, what's tickling my head is uh, they were a bit overweight, perhaps. Yes. That's what I would say, that um, yeah. if they're using full power already, um, it sounds like maybe the, they didn't have the accurate weight um, yeah. and uh, they were heavier than expected. And, In but, which you case, know. you'd normally say, you know, the, the crew probably did an excellent job. Um, and if they were overweight, perhaps they did need that engine back, even if it wasn't going to produce a lot of power, mm -hmm. um, to h help them keep the aircraft comfortably uh, above stalling speed and able to do turns and the like so they could get round for a, a landing. And uh, unless they've examined and reweighed it or everything that came off, we may not ever find out if they just unloaded it and then, you know, mm -hmm. took everything away. <laughs> Yeah, get rid of the evidence. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it must have been a, a pretty terrifying because uh, I think if you're hitting a 40 meter tree uh, off the end of the runway, you're going to be going, what is wrong with this aeroplane? Help. We're going to, I mean, yeah, pretty terrifying. If you've got the trees around the, the aircraft uh, after takeoff, you, you're really, yeah, on a hiding to nothing. Well, Tony must know that I am a fluent Spanish speaker and that I was just um, translating live while we were doing the show from the Spanish into English. No, that's not true at all. I don't know Spanish <laughs> at all. I, um, I, I'm assuming that uh, Simon from the Aviation Herald is the one that uh, was uh, doing the translation. It doesn't really say because the, the report is in Spanish. So maybe, maybe Simon's a, a fluent Spanish speaker. I hold boxes comment. has come up with a techo one. Uh, <laughs> they don't classic. sugarcoat it. Aero <laughs> sucla. They don't sugarcoat it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he also made another but, uh, uh, pithy comment regarding the uh, JTATs and uh, smoking. And yes, I think in this case, it was just smoking a little bit more than normal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, number one engine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all part of the crew, um, you know, they got it back safely which is great yeah. uh, because it can't have been easy if they're struggling for, to gain altitude. Uh, might've, might've considered like if they, you know, because they did restart the engine. So they were getting some power out of it. As you mentioned, yeah. uh, that could have caused more problems than they, you know, wanted to deal with, but uh, they may have needed the extra power just to bring it back around. But once yeah. they were safely on the ground, I may have considered uh, possibly shutting it down uh, right away instead yes. of waiting for somebody <laughs> to say, hey, texted him with it. that thing's smoking. Going, hey, you're, you're smoking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, right. And um, I'm not quite sure why they cycled the gear. Uh, having got the gear down and three greens, I yeah, would have been it. quite happy with that. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to yeah. 
bring them up just to see if they still work because the second time they might not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was kind of an odd, an odd thing as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we'll we'll uh, await more analysis on this incident when we or accident uh, when we get more information. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's do uh, B. Uh, this is a final report. This is from uh, the Aviation Herald. Uh, Express Freighters Boeing 737-300 at Melbourne. Uh, let's see, Express Freighters. I guess they were doing work on behalf of Qantas. And in fact, I think I have a, a slide there that uh, has a picture of the 737 in Qantas colors. There we go, the Qantas Freight. But this is actually um, Air Express or Express Freighters Australia. Uh, registration, Victor Hotel, uh, X-Ray Mike Oscar performing flight 7395 from Perth to Melbourne, two crew. They were descending through 8,000 feet on approach to Melbourne when the crew felt a rush of cold air and soreness in their ears and received indications of auto fail and standby on the pressurization panel. The differential pressure was indicating zero and the outflow valve was about 50% open. The crew worked with a related checklist. The auto fail light extinguished. However, the cabin pressure remained uncontrollable. The crew sus suspended further troubleshooting and continued the approach for a landing in Melbourne about 20 minutes after the onset of trouble. On the 2nd of March 2022, the Australian ATSB released their final report, concluding the probable cause of the incident was an insulation blanket in the aft cargo bay was incorrectly secured, leading to it coming adrift and inhibiting the main outflow valve operation. This resulted in uncontrolled pressurization changes in the aircraft. Yeah, you jam up that outflow valve, that's not a good thing. Yeah, it uh, might be worth explaining to those listeners who don't quite know how it works. We, we pump all the air we need into the aircraft, and then in order to control the pressure inside the aircraft, we modulate the outflow valve so we let it leak out at a controlled rate, which the uh, aircraft uh, pressurization system can monitor and alter. So that outflow valve is very important for maintaining the right uh, pressure in the aircraft. Exactly. Uh, the ATSB analyzed the flight crew reported passing through 8,000 feet. The auto fail standby enunciator lights illuminated because we already we already talked about that in the uh, narrative. Um, during descent, the main outflow valve modulates increasing cabin pressure as ambient air pressure increases. It's possible that the failure of the main outflow valve heater gasket, identified by engineering personnel from the occurrence, resulted in the valve freezing in the closed position. As the aircraft descended into warmer air, the valve may have thawed, resulting in its sudden opening and observed ingestion of the unsecured insulation blanket. blanket. However, with the main outflow valve operation inhibited, it was unable to modulate, allowing an unrestricted venting of pressurized cabin air. This resulted in the inability to control the aircraft's cabin pressure reported by the flight crew. Anyway, it goes on in a little bit more detail uh, regarding the uh, pressurization system and the auto-fail enunciation, standby enunciation, etc. Um, let's see. During post-occurrence troubleshooting and inspections, the engineers discovered multiple aft cargo bay insulation blankets either installed incorrectly, damaged, unsecured, or missing. This included, and in, you know, probably one went right out the outflow valve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, here's one on the ground. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, 
This included an insulation blanket protruding from the main outflow valve. It was wow. sticking out of the outflow valve. As part of the post-occurrence rectifications, hmm, the engineers correctly oriented and installed new blankets where required. Uh, let's see. The uh, incorrect installation of some of the blankets along with an inadequate inspection of their condition occurred at some point prior to the occurrence. A heavy maintenance check was carried out on April 26, uh, 2020, 15 months prior to the occurrence. This inspection and maintenance activity included multiple tasks within the aft cargo bay, which necess necessitated the disturbance and partial or complete removal of the insulation blankets. After this date, and prior to the occurrence on the 6th of July, 2021, there was no documented evidence of maintenance carried out in the aft cargo bay, which would require access or disturbance of the insulation blankets. So, yeah, yeah well done, were... Sherlock. They managed to work out <laughs> yeah. who did it. So that they will, in fact, of course, have work records of who uh, did that work. And, um, you know, they will be uh, retrained, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, but uh, if you're going to get this kind of a pressurization problem, actually descending through eight thousand feet is a lovely altitude to get it because there's absolutely no jeopardy. Really, you could just turn the pressurization system off and ignore it because you're below ten thousand feet. You don't need pressurization now uh, to give you um, mm. enough uh, uh, oxygen uh, air under under pressure to uh, breathe you're fine below ten thousand feet you can carry on regardless all you could do is worry and in fact that's what the crew do they stop doing the the drills at four thousand feet because they wanted to concentrate on the approach and quite right so so they weren't uh, criticized for that in fact the well, the inquiry said it was quite reasonable that they do so so yes uh, uh, 8,000 feet going up is a different matter, or a high altitude is even worse, of course. But uh, now nah, that was that was good. Yes. Okay, so uh, this next news item is um, a video that we're going to share. I'm not sure if we're going we're gonna to play the entire thing because I don't believe it's a short video. We'll see how it goes here. So let's uh, add to the stream and see what's going on here. Cessna 205 catastrophic engine failure, February 11th, 2022. Six minutes later, approximately one hour into an IFR flight from S-36 to Kilo Mike Yankee Victor. Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment here. Uh, this is a single-engine airplane, a high-wing Cessna, single-engine uh, Cessna 205. And uh, as you said, his engine was acting up, and then it just popped. And there, now, now he has smoke in the cockpit. He needs to get on the ground uh, right away. Can I get, uh, is that Hillsborough off my nose here? Uh, the zero, zero, six, and uh, it looks like I got him in sight. Uh, what were the winds again? Uh, fairly calm. Fairly calm. All right, uh, I'm going to be over the field just trying to get set up for this. So, uh, what's, what's the biggest runway? All right, so we'll figure it out as we get closer in here. Thank you. 
Interesting. I'm uh, pausing the video. Uh, he's got a nice, uh, probably a GoPro or something like that, um, situated in the cockpit, looking forward through the windscreen, and you can see the um, beautiful <laughs> uh, countryside ahead. Uh, some mountains and clouds, and uh, the stopped propeller. Um, what part of the country is this? This is uh, up in uh, the Pacific Northwest, Liz. Okay. She's asking what part of the country. Uh, Hillsboro is uh, to the west of Portland, Oregon. I believe um, Hillsboro is, uh, is, there's a big uh, Intel uh, fab or several uh, fabs, chip fabs for Intel um, computing. And... Uh, so I think uh, he'll say something here at some point, but I think he's right around 9,000 feet-ish, uh, close to 10,000 feet above the um, above the ground. Of course, I don't know. That's probably MSL, not above ground level. So I'm not sure what the elevation is in that area. But uh, let's... Uh, Do you want to just quickly read the comment from IHAL boxes here? Yeah, I, I did not. He, he, <laughs> excuse me. I'm getting all choked up from uh, reading IHAL boxes comments. Um, and and, he, and did tickle me. He said, "Quick, grab the fire extinguisher from your pant legs." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's where we all keep them, don't we? Well, he should. I'm, that's where he should keep them. In this yeah, case, absolutely. All right, let's uh, continue and see what happens here. Okay, so he's just gliding. Well, I well I've got some time here. What's the frequency going to be down there? One one hundred point three. This is nice. All right, I, I, I like I like now. his his I'll preparation. Yeah. Yeah, he's thinking ahead. Uh, you know, he, yeah, exactly right. It shows he's still got a lot of capacity, and uh, mm -hmm. the um, emergency hasn't thrown him off. Right. So it's just really kind of peaceful looking. He's just kind of gliding. Exactly, yeah. He's he's just a glider now, isn't he? He's having mm -hmm. a fun day gliding. He's not going down very fast, not that I want him to. Yeah, Liz is saying it doesn't look like he's descending that quickly, but um, I don't know. It looks the, can be uh, deceiving, I can think. Yeah, these Cessnas don't have a great uh, glide ratio, about the same as uh, a 737. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's That's, not very good. <laughs> seems like, um, yeah, I, maybe not as good as this. I don't know. I have no idea. When, I'm not going to say yeah, anything else because I don't know. I can see him descending. Yeah, you well, can it's start, just, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can see I, that I've, the, I've covered it in a plane tail, and uh, I, oh. I, I'm trusting the figures. Seven eight zero on the uh, one three right through left is about uh, six thousand six hundred feet. All right, I'm going to try for uh, for one three right here. Number seven eight zero Roger. New grass necessary and clear visual approach runway one three right. All right, cleared for the visual, and uh, we'll we'll keep you posted here. I must admit, if I was going to do a practice force landing, for tower now they're going to have equipment uh, out for you, and uh, you know, you're ready to do uh, a I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'd never be too quick to declare which runway in case I'd change my mind halfway around the pattern. Yeah. Oh, I'm losing a bit of height here. I think I'll go for that runway instead. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, as you, as you did before, he's already kind of thinking ahead and, and trying to yeah. communicate as much as he can and say, this is what yeah. I think I'm going to do. I don't know. You know, it may change. Yeah. The mind. only thing I, the only thing I think he's done wrong so far is that he hasn't actually declared an emergency. So mm -hmm. apart from that, I think it's obvious, but yeah. relying on his air traffic controller to interpret 
what he's saying. It's much clearer if you just declare an emergency. Mm -hmm. True. All right, cleared for the visual, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted here. Yeah, just let me know if you need anything else. Uh, let Hillsborough Tower know they're going to have uh, equipment out for you, and uh, let me know when you're ready to switch over to the tower. All right, Roger. Yeah, we'll, uh, oh, we're not going to be able to taxi off or anything. We'll just uh, stay over the field here and uh, hopefully get it in. I don't know <laughs> whose side that was. Was that, was that the pilot? The pilot. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think he's going, I wonder how much this engine is going to cost us. Oh, what is, how did I get in this situation? Yeah. How much can I get for this when I sell it? <laughs> Liz says, how much can I get for this when I sell it? <laughs> if I don't crash. The, the smoke blowing down here. It looks like 3-1 left is going to be a better bet for us. 7-8 Zulu for officer. No problem. Clear bridge for 3 left. All right. Clear for 3-1 left for 7-8 Zulu. Okay. Still looks very peaceful. You can just see the clouds in the background, some mountains. You see a little bit of civilization. He's got time to open his flask and get a cup of coffee. Yeah, or get those fire extinguishers ready from his pantry. <laughs> yes. yeah. Strap his parachute on. We'll get his selfie stick ready for when he... Oh, yeah. Fliss says getting, he's getting the selfie stick ready. Yep. All right, Kev, don't yeah. piss up. We do this... Somebody do just when you have time, I think it pulls on board and fuel. Uh, we've got uh, just me on board here, and uh, I had about uh, about four hours of fuel on board, probably about uh, 65 gallons. Proximity zero, Roger, no problem. Uh, winds uh, currently 310 at four. Runway 31 left, you are cleared to land. All right, 31 left, we're, uh, we're cleared to land. We're just going to orbit over the field here. Yes, no problem. Okay, good plan. And uh, I think you can kind of see, as we get a little bit closer here and it gets a little bit lower, you can start seeing a little bit of the... Uh, uh, airport environment. He's not quite over the field. Oh, yeah, he is. I can see on the left, lower left-hand side, looks like taxiways or runway from uh, Hillsboro. God, he's running halfway through this. This is um, this is where my cousin lives in uh, in Hillsboro, and I remember uh, driving by this airport. Yeah. But I had nothing to do with it. This was... Like a couple of years ago. Elevation for uh, for Hillsboro. I want that today. Definitely getting lower to the ground here. Still gliding, turning a little bit. He's keeping himself over the uh, air, airport. You can see the runway off to the left. Just keeping on the left side. An elevation of uh, 208 feet. Oh, that's pretty close to sea level. And uh, I can take tower now if you'd like. Somebody do Roger, and uh, you're third land actually any runway you need, and the. Uh, when you're ready, you can switch to our one one nine pointer. Over to nineteen three. Thanks for your help, sir. Yep. Nice and calm. Hillsborough cool. Tower, stationary four seven eight Zulu uh, emergency. We're uh, through two thousand five hundred in the descent, trying for three one left. November eight four seven eight Zulu Hillsborough Tower, we're at three zero three seven. Wind three one zero at four. Clear to land any runway. Right, clear to land any runway. Uh, eight four seven eight Zulu. Good question, Craig. He hasn't said anything. Uh, so I'm not sure if he would or not. I would imagine that the uh, ATC has already made him an emergency aircraft on their radar display, so it probably wouldn't do anything if they popped 7700 in at this point. He's going pretty fast. He looks like he's mm. now, I wonder if the civilian world does um, practice force landings like we do, where you would have a high key and then a low key, and then you know you're basically uh, 
do your finals turn from low key? Uh, that's a good question. Mm. And why Mike don't we Gates see if and... some of the folks in our live audience uh, has the answer yeah. to that question? By the way, he has a very nice headset on. It's the same headset I use, the Bose oh. A20. It's not easy in the sun like that. It's quite a low sun, and mm. uh, you know it uh, makes the forward view bit tricky. Yes, you do. Good. Hall Boxes says, yes, we do in general aviation. Excellent. All right. Looks like he's setting this up perfectly. He's, looks like he has a, um, you know, a real, really good uh, idea of his, of his energy. He's managing that yeah, very the, well. Yeah, the lovely thing about flying that curved approach from low key in is that anytime you think you're going a bit low, you can tighten up that turn a little bit and cut a bit of track, or you mm -hmm. can make it a bit wider. Um, kind of looks a little bit on the low side to me, but okay, here we go. And coming over the numbers. And I think he's quite fast. <laughs> yeah. Because he's floating a long way. Yep. Looks like he's finally on the ground. You sure? oh, I, just, I just noticed that the propeller's not moving. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's the problem. Yeah, so he is, uh, yeah, maybe now. Do you want me to try to make Alpha 5 to get out of your way here? So if you can, that's fine. If not, no problem. We can work around you. Just do whatever you can. Nice landing. All right. Thank you very much. I'm glad you guys were right here. <laughs> oh, wow. He's icing on the cake. Look at this. He's taxiing. Yeah, he's getting out of their yeah. way. Oh, nice <laughs> Any preference absolutely. Right here. I'll just roll as far as I can. Oh, could you give me a parking position now? <laughs> you, can, you can go straight in. Because I'm Bob Hoover and I can do this shit. Okay, uh, I think I just accidentally uh, rewound the thing, um, but uh, there it was a, a happy ending, beautiful landing. Yeah, and it uh, did, did a wonderful job. This guy's um, situational awareness, his SA, was awesome. I say. Yeah, R really impressed. Uh, you know, a guy that uh, obviously. Uh, just has the wherewithal to cope with a situation like that. And, uh, you know, uh, we could all learn a lot from watching him and his calm attitude towards dealing with it and his skill flying. So good job, sir. Yeah, very well. That's almost textbook, um, the handling of that emergency. Uh, you know what? Let me add this back to the stream and just ignore what you're hearing now. I'm going to fast forward it to some stills that they added here to the uh, the end of the video to show the uh, the damage to the engine on the uh there we oh, go there, that's a yeah. it's a six cylinder ah, yeah look at that thing the whole engine case has wow. basically cracked and in, in just a gaping wow. hole that really has blown apart isn't it yeah i mean there's a good inch and a half uh, sh uh, gap a big crack mm -hmm. um and all the oil must have hosed out wow yep. yes yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You can see that this is a catastrophic engine failure, basically. Uh, they're going to have to get a new one, I think. That's what I'd say. Yeah. My recommendation. Yeah. You know, the yeah. word crack makes me Or oh, just a bit of speed tape. Yep. Yes, um, Liz, I do know that the word crack does make you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> she cracks up. Uh, she's crack cracking up. herself yeah. up. She's a yeah. crackpot. <laughs> Okay. That was great though. Very educational. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, great. Uh, I'm glad that he had this on video and that he could share this experience with everybody. Absolutely. 
All right. I hope boxes says it's now a five cylinder Cessna. A five cylinder Cessna, yeah. Now not a not a uh, six cylinder anymore. Okay, let's move on. Uh, this, another final report. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald. It must be that time of year for a uh, final report. Yeah. Uh, Korean. They, they're all trying to sneak them out under the current, you know. Um... Big yeah. news items in Ukraine. They're trying nobody, to get all these reports out so no one notices. Maybe nobody will notice. Uh, let's see. A Korean Airlines uh, Bombardier C-Series uh, registra- uh, 300 uh, registration Hotel Lima 8314. We, we know them now as Airbus 220 series. Uh, performing flight uh, 753 from Busan, South Korea to Nagoya, Japan with 64 people on board was climbing out of Busan when the crew stopped the climb at flight level 290 due to the failure of the left-hand engine. It was a Pratt & Whitney 1521. The aircraft returned to Busan for a safe landing about one hour after departure. A replacement uh, airplane, this time a 737-900, reached Nagoya with a delay of two and a half hours. Boeing to the rescue. A Boeing to the rescue, yes. On uh, March 3rd, 2020, 22, the NTSB released their final report concluding the probable cause of the incident was the manufacturer's inadequate cleaning of the crucible before melting the nickel alloy used in casting the low-pressure turbine stage 3 blades that resulted in a casting anomaly from where an intergranular crack, there you go, Liz, occurred because (laughs) became the origin of a fatigue crack that led to the fracture of a low-pressure turbine stage three blade. The oh, NTSB. Come on, Jeff, how the devil did they work that out? I have These no guys, idea. <laughs> I, neither have I. I'm going, how the... Metal- wow, that's amazing. Metallurgical investigators. Yeah, the metallur- metallurgical forensic um, investigators, apparently. Uh, they looked at that and went, oh, yeah, I can see what that is. It's a, some kind of an intergranular molecular crack. CSI and metallurgy. Yeah, uh, the NTSB analyzed on December 26, 2018, uh, Korean air flight. I don't think we ever talked about this. Uh, an Airbus 22300 registration, blah, 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 experience uh, commanded in-flight shutdown of the number one engine. Uh, let's see. The flight crew reported hearing a loud bang that was followed by vibrations and an engine fire warning. The flight crew shut down the engine and the airplane returned uh, to Busan without further incident. The engine was removed from the airplane and shipped to Pratt & Whitney's Columbus Engine Center, Columbus, Georgia, for disassembly and examination. Where the cowboys live? Yes, they uh, they got a... Yeah! They're out there. Yeah, they're out there near the near the stables and and such. Uh, see where I have it. Here we go. Yeehaw! Yeah, that's them right now working on the engines. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. The examination of the engine revealed one low pressure turbine LPT stage three blade number fifty two that had a flat planar elliptical-shaped fracture surface at the rear half of the blade. I mean, I don't know why they didn't notice it when they were doing the walk-around. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Good point. Right. Yeah, slap their hands. The me- metallurgical examination of blade number 52 showed that the grain size and hardness conformed to the requirements for the specified IN-100 nickel alloy. The energy dispersive spectro- spectroscopy... Uh, EDS of blade number 52 away from the origin. The, you know what? This is starting to sound like the uh, turbo uh, encabulator. It is produced by the modial interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance.
Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I, sh- I should yeah. probably stop talking because it's Please. just a bunch of gobbledygook. Anyway, just yeah. a bunch of no terms. Yeah. So apparently, um, something involved with the casting of this um, of this alloy into the uh, the blade was uh, dirty, and uh, yeah, there's some weakness in in it, and it uh, came apart. And we've got. Four long paragraphs of uh, explanation, which I'm sure yeah. Jeff will let you peruse at your mm-hmm. leisure. Yes, <laughs> yes. In the uh, in the show notes, <laughs> show notes will have the link. You'll enjoy. Sh- it's a shame we haven't got uh, Steffi. We could get her to read the whole thing. Yeah, that would be fun. All right. Anyway, if you have any more questions about this, <laughs> look it up in the show notes. Um, here's something that we can talk about a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Um, coherently, maybe. Intelligently. Uh, an American Airlines. Okay, this is from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Not again. Oh, we uh, got some good ones from them. Yeah. An American Airlines contact contract cleaner removed five life vests from a passenger plane and replaced them with bricks of cocaine weighing at least five kilograms and with a street value of around eight hundred and fifteen thousand U.S. dollars on a flight from St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands to Miami, Florida. Luis Ortiz Jr., uh, his dad must be very proud of him, uh, he's 25 years old, <laughs> has reached a plea deal with prosecutors after being arrested in July 2019 for his part in the smuggling scheme. Ortiz could be incarcerated for life and faces a minimum sentence of 10 years behind bars, as well as a maximum fine of $100,000. He, was, uh, he worked as an aircraft cleaner and used his privileged access to hide a sizable quantity of cocaine aboard American flight, uh, Airlines Flight 2227. Along with his girlfriend at the time, Ortiz recruited two drug mules who bought tickets for the flight and recovered the drugs shortly after boarding. Surveillance Didn't footage. did they notice there was a pair of mules trying to board Yeah, you would the think. Airplane? Yeah, they'd be making Why all kinds of noise. They were emotional support mules. (laughs) Liz makes the point. They were emotional support mules. So nothing looked (laughs) amiss at all. Fair enough, I suppose. As I haul boxes says, another Uh, crack story. I haul boxes, another crack story. (laughs) Okay, yes. Uh, Surveillance footage recovered from St. Croix's Rolson Airport on the evening of July 10, 2019, showed Ortiz wearing an oversized jacket boarding a parked American Airlines plane in the middle of the night and immediately walking to rows 17 and 18 of the aircraft. He then lowered the window shades and eight minutes later exited the aircraft carrying a package package that was consistent in size with the life vests that were removed from rows 17 and 18. The following morning, the drug mules were instructed to get help from an American Airlines gate agent who allowed them to pre-board the flight and remove the drugs from the life vest bins without any other passengers around them. Hmm. Uh, On arrival in Miami, the flight was met by Customs and Border Protection officers, and the two mules were taken into custody. They both pleaded guilty to possession with intent to distribute and have already been sentenced in a Florida court. Prosecutors. They'll do some hard time down there, won't they? The slammer. Yeah, I think they're going to do some time in the slammer for sure. Flight attendants aren't routinely tasked with making sure life vests haven't been tampered with, but airlines do carry regular checks, carry out regular checks, which can range from making sure every life vest is correctly stowed to just sampling a certain percentage 
uh, of them on board. Um, yeah. Another great comment here. Well, I imagine there's, there's an, another novel way of smuggling. Yep. I haul boxes again. I, I imagine that jet having to ditch and powder <laughs> flying everywhere. <laughs> Happiest water landing ever. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude, it's so nice. Yeah. yeah no this problem. water no, feels yeah. so good. I know. You got a life vest? No, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Moving on. Uh, this is from, uh, again, Paddle Your Own Canoe. canoe. Uh, an airline pilot accused of murdering an elderly couple is suing his former employer for unfair dismissal after bosses sacked him when he was remanded into custody. Greg Lynn, 55 years old, of Caroline Springs to the west of Melbourne, Australia, stands accused of murdering elderly campers Carol Clay and Russell Hill. The couple went missing during a camping trip in March 2020, but their bodies were only found on November 30th, 2021. That's what, a year and a half later? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, it took left. two months for police to eventually identify the couple because of the advanced level of decomposition of their bodies. Hmm. Lynn was arrested in December and has not been found guilty of any crime ahead of his trial later this year. But bosses at Jetstar sacked him in January because his, quote, present circumstances prevent him from working as a captain on the airline's A320 fleet. The TWU, the Transport Workers Union, have taken up Lynn's case and has accused Jetstar of denying him procedural fairness. In a letter to the airline, the union said Lynn's dismissal was harsh, unjust, and unreasonable. The two sides were unable to come to an agreement, so the case has now been referred to the Fair Work Commission. Uh, Lynn, the accused pilot, uh, argues that he can't be expected to attend work because he is in custody pending his trial but he has not been found guilty of any crime or workplace misconduct. Yeah. Like, uh, you're innocent until, until proven guilty, yeah, right? He's got a point. Uh, absolutely. And I suppose by the, you know, the letter of the law, even, you know, if this guy turns out to be guilty, then no one's going to care. But, mm -hmm. uh, according to the letter of the law, uh, you know, you can't deny him, uh, his wages, uh, if he is, currently innocent mm -hmm. um, i'm sure you could uh figure some way around most airlines in my experience when someone has been accused of a fairly heinous crime uh, um, they find a way to make them go away so they usually them. have them resign uh, and I don't know what inducements they use, never having been in that situation. Thank goodness. But I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they didn't catch me. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I suspect it would be monetary or, or something um, because uh, the airline just don't want to be associated with them as an employee anymore. But um, I think Jetstar probably made a bit of a mistake here. They should have given the guy the benefit of the doubt until... Uh, unless, of course, the police have a cast-iron case against him, in which case you've still got to wait for him to have a yeah. guilty verdict, but I have less sympathy for him. Right. I mean, I know that he did it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> but just well, look the, at the picture uh, of him. jury there. will. He looks guilty to me. <laughs> yeah, I must have, <laughs> must have been. Yeah. He, he's not a conventional-looking, oh, I don't know. No, he looks like a happy bloke. Um, main does, man Micah yeah. makes a good point. I thought airline pilots were allowed to murder elderly couples, kind of like marrying people, like a captain on the ship two months. Well, we usually keelhaul them. 
uh, mainman Micah, I think, as a captain <laughs> of an aircraft, we're allowed to keelhaul someone. Sounds painful to me. Mm. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Keelhaul. Uh, well, you you tie them uh, to hands and feet and drag them under the the bottom of your ship and up yeah. down one side and up the other. Uh, That's and not they good. Rarely survived. No, keel keelhauling was a nasty piece. Or oh, just make them walk the plank from thirty thousand feet. You know. Yeah, Tony Smith says if he turns out to be innocent, he will not need to work again. Yeah, true. Well, yeah, he'll have a good, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what, though? That elderly couple probably just wouldn't keep their their yapping down, and uh, he had to (laughs) do something about it. He was. Well, yeah, absolutely. He probably got hold of Dana's baseball bat. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, let's move on uh, to this uh, last item in the – you'll be happy to know, everybody – the last item in the news notebook. Uh, Again, from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Liz, you got to get – you, you start. You need to start I, looking at other sources. Is that a human? If, yeah, human if you got shares in human interest stories. Or something? They do human interest <laughs> And you know, I think at least fifty percent of these stories are actually true. All right. Um, oh, stop it. So let's see. United Airlines will pay two veteran flight attendants more than two million dollars in compensation after a federal appeals court agreed with a previous jury finding that the airline had fired the long-serving flight attendants based on their age. In a lengthy 52-page ruling, the Tenth Circuit of Appeals, Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, found that there was sufficient evidence for a jury to reasonably conclude that United had discriminated against the flight attendants because of their age. The dispute can be traced back to 2013 when a flight attendant made an internal complaint about two of her co-workers, Denver-based flight attendants Jeannie Stroop and Reuben Lee. Stroop and Lee were accused of breaking United's rules by watching a movie on an iPad while on duty during a flight, so a supervisor was tasked with observing them during a short flight between Denver and San Francisco around five weeks later. During this flight, the supervisor claims to have observed the flight attendants break a slew of safety and service standards. Lee was seen to smoke an e-cigarette during the flight. Both flight attendants sat on metal galley boxes in violation of safety rules, and they watched a video on an iPad together. Lee was also caught giving out a mini bottle of vodka to an economy passenger for free, (gasps) Uh, not standing in the correct position for the safety demonstration. Uh Uh-oh. And breaking United's internal rule for carrying out a mid-flight water service. After several months of investigations, the two flight attendants decided to retire before they were fired. Stroop had worked as a flight attendant with United for 29 years, while Lee had been with United for more than 40 years. They were aged 55 and 61 years old, respectively, at the time they left United. Shortly after leaving the airline, the two ex-crew members filed a suit against United, claiming age discrimination. During a five-day trial, the flight attendants convinced the jury that United's witnesses lacked credibility, that United's explanations were inconsistent, and that there had been no procedural irregularities. Stroop and Lee didn't try to hide the fact that they had broken the rules but claimed they were commonplace and minor, and that similar transgressions from other flight attendants hadn't warranted dismissal. In fact, United's internal policies suggested flight attendants be subject to gradually escalating levels of discipline, but in this case, the airline was attempting to fire the crew members. 
we concluded that there was a there was substantial evidence to support the jury's verdict, the appeal judges wrote in their verdict. More specifically, there was sufficient evidence for a jury to reasonably determine that United stated reasons for displ- disciplining plaintiffs were a pretext for unlawful age discrimination. Uh, they had uh, the two flight attendants had sought one million dollars in compensation, but owing to the appeal, United must now pay double the original sum. In an email statement, a spokesperson for United said, "It's not fair." Uh, no, they didn't say. <laughs> uh, it, they're proud of uh, United is proud of its diverse workforce that includes employees in every age range. We will continue to hire and retain people who enjoy long careers at the airline. The statement concluded. Hmm. Well, what do you think? Uh, I think they would have, I mean, they obviously won the case. So, you know, uh, but I think (laughs) the fact that they uh, resigned uh, and weren't actually fired. Yeah. uh, For me would be a clincher. I would go, well, you know, uh, we you didn't even give the company a chance to mm-hmm. complete its investigation and do a proper uh, uh, HR review of uh, your actions, et cetera, et cetera. So you resigned before that occurred or was completed. Yeah. So um, I'm going, mm, I don't understand why this case has gone the way it has. Yeah, I That's kind of felt the same painful. way. And if they had definitely been fired, then I I would think that they definitely have a have a, a case uh, yeah, in court. But if absolutely. they if they voluntarily retired, um, you know, I don't know. I agree with you. I mean, to me, uh, it it seems that they're <laughs> sitting on a box watching a movie on your iPad and smoking your e-cigarette during flight would probably be sufficient grounds for firing without any warning. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you are, the cabin crew are definitely the face of the company in front of the passengers. Uh, and uh, their behavior in the cabin while they're at work has to reflect the values of the the company and uh you know <laughs> they definitely weren't doing that uh, i i think it's completely irrelevant 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 if they gave a passenger a vodka because they might have been just trying to placate someone yeah. who didn't something didn't quite work out for them i'll give you right. a free drink mm-hmm. and uh, there was something else there that was pretty trivial so i don't know why i even bought yeah. that up but um yeah <laughs> after I think- Two reports, one from another cabin crew, uh, presumably a senior one, and uh, from one of their senior observers, that they were shirking their duties and behaving badly on the aircraft. I think that should have been sufficient to fire them. I mean, it could be that they were just, you know, both of them like super slackers. It looks, it appears that way from, you know, some of the um, evidence presented here in this article. But, yeah. you know, as the, um, you know, the the point was made that you know they they're supposed to go through you know escalating levels of discipline and it seems they just wanted to shortcut this one and just go directly to trying to either you know get them to you know quit or eventually fire them um yeah i don't know I yeah. agree with you. I mean, I don't know if the company have actually written down all the levels and uh, what you need to do to achieve those levels mm-hmm. um I'd need to have a look at their books to see their manuals. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, I have them here. I'll uh, go ahead yeah, and uh, please, if you get could them just over to email you. them to me. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> In the meantime, though, I think that uh, it's now time. Thank goodness for 
the Getting to Know Us segment. And of course, that means that it's our time to get all caught up with one another and what we've been doing between shows. And Nicholas, how about yourself? What have you been up to since... uh, When did we record last week? It was earlier in the week, wasn't it? Uh, Saturday. Saturday, yeah. I think. Okay, so it was just over a week ago. Okay. Yeah, a week and a day. Okay. Um, and the answer to your question is, uh, I've been having COVID tests and uh, then a quick visit to um, a hospital to have uh, um, a hose pipe stuck down my throat, uh, mm. which was, no, <laughs> I didn't want to have, uh, like, Jilly is going to need a new, uh, a leg operation. So, um I've been trying to t- take up uh, or not give her lots of things to do, like drive me to hospital, etc. So I uh, I did this uh, endoscopy without uh, any um, form of uh, sedation, so oh. I so that I could drive home again. And uh, it's it, it's no drama if if you can stay relaxed, but it was damned uncomfortable. <laughs> You've all seen the movie Alien. Uh, I felt sure at one point he was going to stick this probe out through my chest. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> excuse me, I quite enjoyed watching the pictures. Uh, but when we got to the uh, the bit that I, I started leaning as he um, moved in front of the TV screen so I could see around him, but he obviously didn't want me there, so he just stood right in front of me. He didn't want me looking at it. So I thought, oh, oh that's a bit mean. But um, uh, What did it look like? Was it all like uh, pink? Yeah, it was pink and slimy, yeah. just like you'd expect it to be. And having, uh, you know, fasted and things so that, uh, you know, you don't get anything in the way. Uh, he was basically looking to see how my hiatus hernia was getting on. And um, it's in hiatus, or whatever that means. I don't know. I think um, it's a good thing. No, right? it's, it's having a good time. Yes, it's it's fine. It's on it's, holidays. Uh, it's low grade, and he wasn't worried about it, so that's great. So... Um, that's out of the way. Um, and uh, you know, I, I've still got various follow-ups after my, uh, little heart problem that I'm still trying to, uh, knock on the head. Um, but more importantly, the, the lovely wife is heading off, uh, to have her leg chopped off. Um, not really. Um, although Pip I was wondering in- if he could have their leg, the, <laughs> the old leg. <laughs> yeah, sure. No probs. Um, yeah, just part of her leg, the knee to be exact. Fair enough. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I'm going to be a busy boy uh, doing everything around the house that uh, I and Jilly normally do separately. I'll be doing it all for a few weeks. So uh, there may be a, a, a slight hiccup in the production of Play Tales because I'm going to be a bit flat strapped, to tell no the truth. Problem. Yeah, we're, we're expecting, yeah, we'll do a rerun. So we'll, we got it covered. Yeah. Or, or we'll just, <laughs> just take the week off, whatever. We do have yeah. a small yeah, well, library. That may be even easier, but stuff. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and uh, apart from that, uh, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty good now. Um, I, I've, I've really cut down on my alcohol for some reason. I just don't feel um, like I want so much. Uh, so that's kind of got to be a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Give your, your liver a um, chance to, to, to regenerate. Yeah, I'm currently drinking milk. Uh, how oh. worrisome is that? Very. I drink a lot of milk. Well, I'm, I'm drinking tonic water without any, uh, without any gin. 
I'm ah. drinking iced tea. So yeah. Well, I've so. been cutting it, all the acid out of my diet. So Yeah, I would imagine that that's probably helping the reflux, right? Uh, not having so exactly. much alcohol. Exactly. I mean, they take you off your um, your preventative drugs uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, that makes you worse, much worse. Uh, but at least I'm back on those now, so that's good. The world of shrunken shirts and bone soup, yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the dogs aren't going to be very impressed either. Well, we do know somebody on the crew, Nick, uh, that we can send on over there uh, if you need some help with the ironing. Um, oh, yes, of course. Liz, uh, do we have any, great, uh, any updates yes, from we Rick? Yeah, we do. Just to okay. stand by. Hang on a second. We're coming, trying to. Coming in now. Okay, he's coming comes. in now. Um, Here it comes. Here it is. Oh, there he is. Awesome. We see oh, uh, nice job. Rick uh, showing us how to uh, iron a white uniform shirt. Oh, he's trying to say something. Hey, Rick, again, you need to do something with the microphone. We we can't hear you. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, and time. comb your hair. Every you look time. a complete mess. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Uh, and that's why Rick isn't with us today. He's busy ironing. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Ironing hair. But I, I did manage to get a plane tail out for this week. And, uh, um, you know, I quite enjoyed doing this one. So this was, uh, this was good uh, and quite apt considering what's going on uh, over in Ukraine today. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Ooh. All right. Um, that it? That's a lot, yep. actually. Okay, uh, let me see here. I why think, didn't we do a show on Friday? Why did not? Oh, we didn't do a show on Friday, Liz, because that was the last day and basically the last leg of my three-day trip. And uh, all I had to do was just fly the airplane back from Lexington, Kentucky, to Atlanta. Is this and Greg I, Peterson's and fault? I think I'm do that. I think it had something to do with Greg Peterson. I'm not sure uh-huh. how. Because I didn't see him, but I'm thinking he must have done something to my airplane to cause it to uh, be on the ground for a little bit longer than we had anticipated. And it just basically had an issue with uh, kind of a a fume event, basically, from the air conditioning packs. And we kind of finally uh, narrowed the uh, problem down to a leaking, uh, leaking oil from the APU that somehow got... The oil got sucked into the filter bags on the air conditioning packs, which I don't understand how that happened because the air conditioning packs are like above them, <laughs> uh, quite a ways above them. So I don't know. Uh, by that point, uh, I had already been extracted from the situation because our uh, crew tracking folks were looking at. Uh, so basically, uh, when I when I smelled the smell going on with the packs and then i thought well they're maybe just a little bit warm or something but then when uh kurt my first officer came back up he says and he closes the cockpit door and he says uh, uh jeff i need to show you something i went uh-oh <laughs> kurt's very i mentioned this before he's really good at um being very particular about everything on the airplane which is a good thing and but this in this case, it was a pretty obvious thing. I, he was showing me the pictures on his phone of the tail cone where the tail cone mated with the fuselage of the aircraft and uh, looked like some oil kind of running along the seam and then r- running down to the keel area of the tail section of the airplane and then essentially or eventually dripping onto the uh, onto the ground. 
And I went, hmm, I wonder if that has something to do with this weird smell that we're smelling in the air conditioning system. And so I thought, yeah, even though this is my last flight, you know, my getting home flight, um, this is concerning enough to me that uh, we should have this uh, investigated a little bit more. So we contacted our company's maintenance and they said, yeah, we're going to go ahead and have a uh, we don't have any um, Acme full-time maintenance there. We have to, uh, a contract with um, another mechanic service or a, a maintenance service there at the airport. So that gentleman came by and undid some panels and looking around and actually looking at the uh, APU itself, I, I didn't see any evidence at all of, of oil coming from it at that, at least that part of the uh, APU and the, the oil reservoir was uh, at showing full, so it didn't look like there was a huge leak. Uh, so we, we were kind of scratching our heads on this one. Um, and then finally, uh, maintenance control in Atlanta finally said, you know, um, I think that – because the airlines are very sensitive, you know, as we've uh, seen over time doing the show with, um, you know, smoke and fume events. There was no smoke in this case, just uh, kind of an – different kind of a smell or a fume. And uh, so they're kind of sensitive about that. So I had to fill out a smoke and fumes report. And then they said, we're going to send some mechanics, uh, mainline mechanics down from Cincinnati, which is the closest um, uh, hub that we have. Driving though. And driving they, yeah, they didn't, they weren't flying. They were driving. I think it's about an, a little over an hour drive, I think from Cincinnati to, um, to Louisville, I mean, uh, to Lexington. And of course they had to, find a couple of mechanics that could do that and then, you know, try to get some parts that they think that could possibly be swapped out, et cetera. And then of course they didn't have the parts, the filter bags that they were thinking that they were going to need to uh, change out. So they had to have those flown up from Atlanta. So you get the picture The everything was being drawn out this delay. You know, at first I was hoping that we'd be able to get this problem resolved with the path because we had fully boarded the airplane at this point and uh, was keeping the passengers um, advised as to what was happening with the situation. And then finally, handing we out went, free vodka? okay, uh, no, we weren't handing out free vodka at that point, uh, Liz, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no alcohol. We don't need to, you know, make the situation any worse, but uh, so finally, like though. What's that? The cocaine? Yeah. The uh, cocaine row, like. row 17 and rows 18. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple <laughs> of kilos of <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> yeah, they did seem to be pretty happy around that area of the uh, yeah. uh But anyway, so they um, uh, they finally decided, yeah, this is going to take a little bit longer than we anticipated. So we're going to go ahead and, you know, have the passengers deplane, try to, you know, accommodate as many of them as, as possible on other flights to Atlanta. Although every... Uh, flight to Atlanta that day from Lexington it was oversold, so uh, didn't really not much you could really do. So uh, finally, uh, crew tracking looked at all the numbers, and we were up pretty early uh, in uh, Wichita that morning, uh, about five thirty ish Eastern time, and it was getting pretty obvious that we weren't uh, going to be able to fly the flight back to Atlanta when they finally had resolved the situation. So they said, "Okay." We're going to have you lay over here in Lexington and then deadhead on the morning flight. It's like a six o'clock in the morning flight. And I'm thinking, hmm, I think I'd like to rather, I'd rather uh, jump seat on one of our flights going back to Atlanta um, in the evening. And because they were supposed to get a pretty significant snow event in pretty Lexington. Short flight, right? Yeah, it's a very short flight. It's a little, about an hour, 
uh, flight uh, from Lexington to Atlanta. If you went straight, like a, as the crow flies, uh, it would be much shorter, maybe a 40-minute, 40 45-minute flight. But uh, because of the routing that you have to take to kind of get all sequenced in with all the traffic coming into the four basic uh, gates into Atlanta, it's a little bit longer. Anyway. Uh, it was a very, very long day. Finally got well, back get to back Atlanta. Back. I think it was about 8.30 when we were finally uh, pulling into the gate. And then it was another uh, – it, it, it was a very long um, ride on the uh, crew transportation out to the employee parking lot. Um, yes, what was I, going on there? I, I guess that time of night, uh, they close some of the other security gates and they, they have to take this gate on the south side of the airplane uh, airport. And I don't know, I've never seen any of these roads before and it was dark and I'm thinking, <laughs> what are they doing? Where are they? Where's this driver taking us? They're I, being I, hijacked. I, I, I hijacked. thought we were being hijacked. Yes, Liz. And then <laughs> I, I think I mentioned to uh, the crew on, uh, on, uh, messages that, uh, I think that this, uh, driver is driving us to Alabama. Um, <laughs> you know, starting here in Georgia. Yeah. Anyway, so we finally got to the uh, parking lot and got in the car. And by the time I got back here to the Roswell house, which is where I am right now, um, the uh, it was probably around 1030 or so. So very long day. But, you know, uh, I think they finally fixed the uh, problem with the uh, jet and they finally got the uh, airplane back in Atlanta. And I'm sure taken offline to uh, figure out exactly where that oil was coming from. But uh, so that was my little story on Friday. And that's why uh, it became very clear, um, not well, pretty early on, that we weren't going to be able to do a show on Friday. So do apologize for that. Um, but while I was on my trip and uh, the second layover, the first night was in Myrtle Beach, the second night in Wichita. And uh, one of our co-hosts who is not with us today probably spending good quality time with his family or maybe traveling i don't know we're not sure um uh, he's not with us today but i did get to see nick macho camacho uh in uh yeah do you want to quickly do number 16 just while you're talking about nick macho camacho uh do i want to do number 16 while we're talking about nick macho camacho sure why not um jj not pittsburgh uh some feedback we received from him uh says nick nick needs a call sign here at acme so that we did not confuse him with captain nick hr problems and such i vote that we call him nick macho camacho thanks for the content listening to the apg show is one of my highlights each week thanks jj not pittsburgh so thank you uh, very much and i guess it's kind of stuck in my head nick macho camacho that's what we'll call him now i like him i like it in fact maybe uh, his music his intro music now has to be macho macho, macho, macho man, man. <laughs> yeah all right uh let's see so we'll think about that thank you liz she says we're just past the hour mark at this point uh, let's see. So let me get back to, uh, Wichita. Well, not really, but in my recollection of my trip, uh, called up or actually texted, uh, Nick Macho Camacho and let him know that I was going to be there. And I said, I said, first of all, I feel like we're already kind of, you know, taking too much of your time away from your family as it is. So don't worry about, I'm going to be there on a layover, but don't worry about coming, you know, driving over and taking my first officer and I out to lunch or anything. 
And he said, well, you know, the kids are in school and, you know, my wife is tired of me and doesn't want to do any work and he doesn't want to do any work. And so he said, I'll I'll come by and we'll go someplace for lunch. So we ended up going to a Korean barbecue place in, of all places, Wichita, Kansas. And it was very good called Gangnam Korean barbecue. And so we did the full style. style. Gangnam style. Yeah, that's what we did. Gangnam style Korean barbecue, I guess. And uh, had a really, really good meal. So I really enjoyed that, Nick. And uh, good to see you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again uh, on our next show. And the other thing I want to mention is I'll be, um, not this next trip that I'm going to be on on Wednesday, but uh, the following week on uh, Tuesday, the 22nd of, uh, of uh, what month is this? March. March. Thank you. Um, Sean, one of our... Uh, APG community members uh, noticed uh, by looking at the APG community calendar where I have my uh, schedule now. I'm finally getting around to doing that again. Uh, He noticed that uh, I was going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma on the 22nd, and he asked if it would be okay if uh, his wife and uh, he'd take um, me and uh, my first officer out to dinner and anybody else that might happen to be in the Tulsa area. And of course, when you think of Tulsa, you always think about Larry Geezer. The Geezer. And uh, also uh, Josh Glaze, and unfortunately Josh is out of town, Uh, but uh, we're going to have a meetup on the 22nd. We're going to go to the Mahogany Steakhouse, and uh, Larry Larry Geezer is going to uh, meet us as well. And um, the first officer on that trip is the same one that I had on this trip and the next one on Wednesday, but... Uh, he doesn't want to be a fifth wheel, he says. Oh. So he's going to he wants bow to spend out. More time with you now. He, no uh, way. Uh. Anyway, so uh, he's he's uh, bowing out. But so it's going to be Sean and his wife and Larry Geezer and myself and maybe you if you happen to be in the Tulsa area or somewhere Larry's near. Larry's your date for the night. We are. Uh, yeah, Larry is my date. Thank you, Liz. Um, you may want to join us uh, at the Mahogany Steakhouse. And so uh, if you are interested, just contact us over here. You can just send it directly to me, Jeff, at AirlinePilotGuy.com, and uh, we'll give you all the details. Okay, and that's it uh, for... Uh, cover art? Yeah, cover art. Let's talk about last uh, episode's cover art. <laughs> It's oh a good wow! One. It's a it's a it's a messy, crappy uh, piece of artwork. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. Sorry about uh, that. Best I yeah. could do. <laughs> so, of course, we entitled the show "Supersonic Crap Can," and you'll have to listen to understand the context. And uh, there's a, a beautiful illustration of a crap can um, going supersonic, going supersonic, yeah. with a little uh, supersonic. Uh, what do you call that? Um, shockwave, I guess. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, the old low pressure wave. shockwave. Creators, the I can't F-Franco say that. Was. Supersonic. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. and there's a, a brown shockwave as well. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, that's the one that Liz just used a, a different word that uh, I can't use. Uh, <laughs> starts because, with an S. Yeah, starts starts with an S and ends with a T. Wave. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Uh, but uh, yes. Um, yeah, it's kind of yucky looking, uh, but thank you very much. There's a much. rainbow well, in the background. Absolutely. It's, it's You're happy. very welcome. I hope we can have it a slightly a more tasteful one this week. Yeah. Well, Liz does there's make nice the point rainbow. that it's a happy uh, cover art because there's a rainbow in the background. Absolutely, yes. I, I needed a background just to make it all look a bit different. So uh, that's the one that popped up. It's Good. Memorable. It? I like it. Yep. Very, very memorable. So uh, 
Thank you again for all your creative talent, Nick. I love it. <laughs> it's pretty You're crappy. Welcome. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, coffee fun. With time. that, I think it's now time to do some crappy coffee fund talk. And uh, let's get uh, Jeff Smith. He's waiting in the wings. Jeff, how about some uh, coffee fun music? All right. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Again, as I said, Jeff Smith sings the APG Java Jive, and we're going to talk about the Coffee Fund, which is your way to support the show financially if you have the resources to do so. And a couple different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Since the last show, we have George Hollis coming in with a nice contribution to our Coffee Fund, the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And thank you, George. Also, we have another... Um, mechanism to uh, contribute and become part of our Coffee Fund cadre and that is called Patreon and you can become a patron and since the last episode we have two new producers famous singer one, James Taylor one Philip Timmer and of course James Taylor the famous uh, you got a friend singer guy right, right. I think what? that's the one same one yeah. maybe not I don't know uh, so James Taylor Philip Timmer thank you for signing up to be patrons of the show. We do really appreciate that. So if you want to learn how you can join this great group of folks, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Captain, incoming message. All right. I think this first piece of, well, I don't think, I know that this first piece, piece of feedback is from Gordy. And I think earlier was with us on or in the live audience. He may still be. Uh, if, if you are, sir, make sure that you uh, say something or forever hold your peace. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to go ahead and read this feedback from Gordy. He says, hi, Captain Jeff. Thanks so very much for the shout out on the show. Tracks of my gears. I actually love the song tracks of my tears. Huh, I never even thought about the similarity. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for forgetting to mention Miami Rick and Liz. Uh, They are also great, and Rick has some really great points of view. Just some, though. Yeah, not all. Yeah, not not all. Yeah. To clarify, I actually live, I wasn't sure because I was looking at the photos on it, or actually the videos, and it looked to me like it could not be Dubai because of just all the lush greenery and everything else, but apparently I don't know much about Dubai myself. Uh, he says, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm no, to clarify, I actually live in Dubai and have done so for the past 10 years. Although Dubai is mainly covered in sand, the various communities have green grass and plants all preserved through a systematic irrigation system. So I can understand why it may have looked as if it's in a cooler climate. Captain Nick is absolutely correct in his thoughts that used cars in Dubai are not expensive. Most of the cars in the show are under $10,000. Hmm. There's some pretty nice cars, too, in his his, uh, uh, collection. Although 
FOs in the Middle East are paid fairly well compared to other regions. Depending on flight hours flown, it's not uncommon to earn around $12,000 per month. Well, thanks again. It really made my day to hear my channel on the show. I'm hoping to give a shout out to APG on my next episode. All the best, guys. Keep up the great work. And again, that's uh, Gordy. Good to hear from you, Gordy. And I've already forgotten what uh, the name of his channel. Gordy in Color, I think, is uh, his uh, channel name on YouTube. All right. Well, let's uh, keep moving on. C-O-L-O-U-R. Yeah, color with a U. He misspells it, but oh well. Um, (laughs) You cheeky man. Yeah, Carolina Jeff sent this in. He says, hello, APG crew. I'm a long, long time listener, as in I heard APG1 when it first hit the podcast sphere. Wow. Good Lord. That was May of 2011. That's a very long time. Mm. Uh, Thanks so much for the many years of entertainment and information. What started as a great show is now crap. No, I'm sorry. Uh, crap can. What? Uh, crap cash. Well, the last show certainly crap was, yeah. <laughs> oh, let me, let me restart that uh, sentence. Uh, what started as a great show is now just absolutely awesome. Thank you very much for saying so, Excellent. Carolina Jeff. Thank you. By the way, I like the name. Uh, I've always felt a connection to this podcast and a few of its hosts for a few reasons. First, the town I grew up in has always prided itself as being the birthplace of the airline Captain Jeff flies for. A gold star, if you can guess it. Hmm. Anybody? Any Acme ideas gold here? Gold star. Um, Nick, you have any idea where the uh, birthplace of Acme Airlines is? Uh, I don't. I there's no way that you would ever. Is know it this. something Louisiana? <laughs> oh, really? It is. Yes, Liz. Louisiana. Yeah, you're right. It's Louisiana because and I'm it not, was. In I'm a, not googling. It was a town uh, named for the Mississippi River. Uh, Delta, they call that area a Delta region, a Delta, yeah. uh, like a, a river yeah. Delta. Yeah. I don't know why they named it Acme, honestly. But right. uh, uh, anyway, uh, you're you're getting pretty warm there, Liz. It's uh, Monroe, Louisiana. Monroe. Okay. Thank you. I yep. knew it was Louisiana. Okay. Okay. And let's see. Second, I spent many years living in the Atlanta area in Sandy Springs, Woodstock, and Canton, which is not very far from where I is am right now. Is that the actually. Woodstock? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, that one is in New York, uh, the state of New York. I guess every state probably has a Woodstock. Probably. We have a Woodstock um, Just a stone's throw away from Captain Jeff and Captain Dana. Over the last 13 years, I've been living in the Carolinas, inadvertently in a neighboring town to Dr. Steph. Hint, the town with love in the middle. Another gold star, if you can correctly guess it. I'm not sure about that one. Love in the middle. I'm sure that Steph would know. Okay, Liz is cheating. She's looking at a map, so maybe she'll be able to fill us in when she sees it. I'm looking here. Okay, well, I'm going to continue reading, and then uh, you can interrupt me when you find it. For the longest time, I've been the kid slash adult standing at the airport perimeter with his fingers entwined in the airport fence. I am the aviation nerd who stops and looks up every time a plane goes by making sure to point it out to any family member that is nearby. (laughs) I think we can all relate to that, actually. If there is a discussion about airplanes or aviation-related topics, I always have something to contribute. Yeah, I am that guy. (laughs) One of my dreams has always been to get my private pilot certificate. However, due to cost, it was always only a dream. It would seem that every time I was in a position where I could afford lessons, well, my wife and I would decide to do something just as expensive, if not more. 
we would have a baby. Final tally would be three strapping boys. Oh yeah, more than one baby. Well, fast forward many years, one has moved out on his own. Number two will be moving out the next month or two, which leaves the youngest who is about to graduate from high school. Very good. So I'm finally at a point where I can start to fulfill my dream. As long as nothing really crazy happens, the plan is to start lessons in the fall. That's great. Since I have a good chunk of time before I get started, I thought I would ask the group a few questions that would help me to prepare for lessons. The flight school is a Cessna pilot center, so the Cessna private pilot kit I will need to buy will include an enrollment key for the King School's online ground study course, which will allow me to work on the ground school portion and possibly have the written test completed prior to flight lessons. So... Uh, what other things can I do in advance to prepare myself for the actual flying lessons? Oh, buy, um, buy some decent sunglasses. Oh, yeah, cool. for sure. Cool ones. Ray-Bans, preferably. Prob- probably some good a good headset because it's going to be noisy. I recommend the Bose. Yeah, and a really neat flight bag. Yes. To carry all your manuals in. Engraved or emblazoned with like Maverick or something like that. You know, somehow <laughs> yeah, tie in Top Gun. Um, yep. Yeah, what are uh, some things to look for in a flight school and a CFI? Hoping Dr. Steph uh, will be airplane. able to help. Yeah, they, they need Steph. some airplanes. Just check <laughs> like, they've got sorry, those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, flight school uh, with airplanes is a good start. Um, he said, hoping that Dr. Steph would be able to help since I think she might be familiar with the school and CFIs at the airport just south of us, which is Kilo Uniform Zulu Alpha. Um does that help at all, Liz, with no, figuring I out what the, the town I, name I found would them love? Monroe. I found a Monroe right there, but no. Well, that's yeah, that doesn't that's not the same. Um, let's see. I've heard that the cockpit of the airplane is not the best classroom. If it is not the CFI's normal practice to spend ample time prior to each flight to fully brief on what the plan is for each flight, basically explaining the maneuvers before starting the engine, is this something I can and should insist on? Uh, and is there anything that is not in the brochure that I should expect, like extra costs, possible roadblocks, etc.? Did any of you experience a hurdle or setbacks in your primary flight training that you're willing to share? And if so, how did you overcome the hurdle or setback? Even at 52 years of age, I almost feel like a kid again, knowing that I'm finally going to be in an airplane on the other side of the airport fence. I can only hope that the CFI I matched up with will not mind working with someone like me and will be able to help me hold back my excitement just enough so that I can learn everything correctly and safely. Thank you once again for the fabulous podcast and all the great advice I know you will be happy to share. Sincerely, Carolina Jeff. All right, so unfortunately, you know, this might be something, Liz, I, yeah, um, hold it over. that we Let's hold, it over. hold it over to the to the next episode. Um yeah. Because because um, Nick Camacho, Macho Man, yep. um, uh, is a GA guy. Uh, Steph is a GA uh, lady, and uh, Miami Rick yep. uh, is also a GA guy. And uh, I don't think any of them are CFIs. Or that Dana is a CFI, but um, yeah, and he's not anyway. starting his lessons till the fall, so we can. Oh yeah, he's not starting the lessons to the fall, so yeah, we do have time to yep. uh, we'll ask the people that are more intimately involved with general aviation to help you, and I'm sure they'll have some great advice. Um, you know, I I think that uh, just doing as much preparation as you can, uh, you know, reading ahead in the ground school um, literature training uh, syllabus uh, is a good idea. Um, 
I'm not sure the what the practice is uh, these days. I'm assuming that it's a Part 61 school, which would mean uh, kind of a one-on-one with the same instructor all the time and kind of going at your own pace. Um, although it says I'm he he says things to look for in a flight school. So maybe a one for, Part 141 school might be even better for you. And again, I think Nick, uh, Macho Man, and uh, Dr. Steph – uh, and possibly even Miami Rick might be better um, to ask regarding that. Yet another um, great comment from iHall Boxes, though. Oh, iHall Boxes has another great comment. If he's been listening for so long, it won't be long before his CFI will need to ask him for advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, you know what? Uh, speaking of podcasts, uh, since he's listening to ours, um, I'm probably pretty sure that he's also listening to one that I think would be very helpful, which is the Opposing Bases podcast, because that, you know, any um, information that you can glean uh, regarding the air traffic control side of things would be extremely helpful for somebody just starting out. Um, And so you kind of understand how uh, aircraft or control towers work. Now, I'm, I don't know if KUZA is it's a, a towered airport or a um, uncontrolled field, but still, eventually you'll be uh, interacting with air traffic control and understanding all the different airspace uh, requirements and um, that sort of thing. So I think that listening to opposing bases would be one of my top things for you to do to uh, help you prepare Shall for Shall I bill this. opposing bases now for the plug? Yeah, um, that'll be another 50 bucks that you'll have to bill uh, opposing bases, Liz. Thank you. All right. (laughs) They haven't paid the first one. No, well, they haven't been very, yeah, yeah, very good about that. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to get the lawyers on them. We'll get some more Um, information for Jeff there. Oh, we do have more information for no, no, Jeff? No, I say we will get some Oh, you will. We will. Yeah. We'll get more information, Jeff. So, you know, hang in there. Uh, thank you very much for all the nice, uh, kind comments about the show. And congratulations on finally having the having the cash to uh, get this done. And, uh, man, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. And uh, I can't wait for uh, Steph and Nick and Rick, you know, will be able to chip in. And as Liz just mentioned, uh, maybe you can kind of keep us filled in with the progress of your of your lessons and your journey uh, that would be very cool to kind of live vicariously through you all right um what oh yeah by the way that opposing bases uh, i believe those uh, guys are well it's the mythical triad i'm thinking maybe it's in one of the carolinas i'm not sure so anyway how many carolinas have you got only two we got a north and a south. Sound like there's dozens. Well, you know, and uh, there could be. I don't know. Those are the only two I know anything about. By the way, uh, it's, it was great feedback, uh, Carolina Jeff. You misspelt maneuvers, but apart from that, you did a very good job. <laughs> uh, he, he's, he misspelled manure. Um, okay, and and he is quite right. The uh, the air the aircraft is not necessarily the best classroom. So someone who takes his time. Uh, in the pre-briefing is uh, is essential, and a decent debrief as well. So if you've got someone who just wants to collect their dollar and dump you and move on to the next student, then uh, he is definitely a CFI to uh, move away from and find somebody else. And it is very much your choice. If you're paying the money, you know, you can, you can pick the guy who you think is going to give you a, a great experience, uh, you know, knows his stuff, and you, you 
blend with, you get on well with. Yes. Yeah. Insist on it because you're the one that's spending all the money on it. And, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, feel embarrassed. Not everybody you, gets together. And if you, if you like the, the instructor that you're matched with is just not a good match, not a good fit, um, then don't be shy about saying, you know, Hey, you, you seem like a really nice guy, but it's uh, my, you know, way of learning things isn't jiving with the way that you're instructing and, you know, just get a different instructor because, uh, this is the one and only time that you're going to have all these initial flights and the one and only time that you're going to be going for your private pilot certificate. So you might as well make it the best you can. Yep. Good point, Nick. Okay. Let's, uh, continue on with, Oh, looks like we have some, video to play but before i do you know what i'm thinking maybe i'll just go ahead and play the video kind of like background roll b-roll while i'm reading this uh so let me where did i i think i put it in here here it is okay let me gonna mute it here and then add to stream so here we go uh this video um is from dj's aviation who sent it in? That's uh, a YouTube channel. And this was sent in by DJ. No, uh, who did send this in? Texas uh, and Lashock. He says, greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. I thought I'd share a video that came out the other day from YouTube channel DJ's Aviation. It's one of those things that started off as a hobby, but has seemingly morphed into a career to the point that he has flown over to the United States to cover the launch of a new airline, Northern Pacific Airways and had the opportunity to interview the CEO of said airline and cover the unveiling of their first 757 in company colors. Not bad for a kid just over drinking age. I think he just turned 21. In this video, he interviews Edmund Hoot. I'm not sure how you pronounce H-U-O-T. Any ideas, Liz? That looks like a Canadian-French name. What? What? Anyway, the guy responsible for the airline's livery and much of their branding as well. They discuss aspects of aircraft liveries and branding in general, some of the history of liveries and where the future might lead. It's one of those topics we don't think about that often, but it is still an important part of the industry. I know that the airplane geeks have had some spirited discussion about it. With that said, what are some airline liveries that you really like? For me, my favorite is the final TWA livery. It has a very stately regal look to it and look good on just about all their aircraft. If it had been up to me when the merger with American came along, I'd have had them drop the bare metal scheme right then and modify the TWA livery. I think it would if it worked pretty well. It already uses the colors colors red, white, and blue. Yeah, I know he misspelled colors. Uh, Even that yellow band wouldn't have been out of place. American flags frequently have that gold fringe around the edges. You could keep the front of the lettering and replace Transworld with American Airlines. The only thing I couldn't think of a way to adapt was the tail, which had the TWA in block letters on it. Maybe put the eagle there, the American Airlines eagle. And while we're on the topic, perhaps Captain Jeff can shed some light on something I've been curious about for a while. Back in the early 2000s, there seemed to be a period of time when Acme Airlines had three different liveries at once. One with a dark blue tail and a cheat stripe, the one with the colors on the tail, and the current one, which was just being rolled out around then. It's like they switched liveries and then switched again before they had gotten to the entire fleet. 
And you're right. It doesn't seem that way. It actually did happen that way. And there was actually a fourth in there as well. In 2002, I flew on an MD-90 that had somehow not gotten any of the new paint jobs and was still wearing the classic livery that dated back to the 60s. Was this something Acme pilots noticed? Was there, yes, was there any information from the top or did you not care how it looked as long as it flew? That's all for now. Wishing you clear skies. This is the Texas Anla Shock signing off. Um, so I'll, I'll answer that last part of his uh, feedback uh, first before I forget about it. Um, yeah, it seemed that every time we ended up getting a new chief executive officer or a you know, man in charge of the airline, um, there needed to be a change of the livery at uh, Acme. <laughs> I don't, it's like, oh, yeah, in fact, we referred to them as the various CEO names when we were talking about the livery. So everybody understood what uh, particular paint scheme uh, we were talking about. Um, it seemed like a waste of money to most of us. Did we ever get any guidance or explanation from the powers that be at the top of the stack? No. Uh, did we care? Not really. We had our opinions about it, but uh, as as you say there, as long as the airplanes flew well and were you know well maintained as they are at uh, Acme, then that's really all we cared about. Are there so, any other liveries you really liked? I think he said are you oh, favorite livery. So uh, yeah, Liz was reminding me that he was asking me if there are any liveries that I really like, and I don't know. I'm kind of nostalgic, I guess. Um, I. What was the the uh, Brazilian uh, airline that I think it now uh, it is no longer flying? Um, oh, I can't think of the. Um, it starts with a V, I think. Varig. Um, Varig. Varig. Yeah, Varig. I don't think they're flying anymore, are they? Um, I always liked their their livery because it kind of reminded me of the liveries of the of the '60s and uh, early '70s and. You know that just that one line that kind of went along the window uh, line, and I don't. Maybe it's because I was a kid uh, and just in love with aviation back then, and to me that was just like the way to paint an airplane. And being a pilot killed that love. And being, yeah, and then being less says and being a pilot has killed that love. No, it hasn't. No, I still have the love. Um, but um, I, I just, I really like, in fact, a lot of airlines will do these retro paint schemes um, every once in a while. And it's so cool sometimes to see. I think uh, American Airlines does that a lot. Uh, you'll see like a, an airplane painted in PSA colors, Pacific Air Southwest Canada. Airlines, uh, Air Canada. Yeah, all these, you know, they'll, they'll do some retro paint jobs uh, every now and then. And I just love to see those. Um, what do you, what do you think, Nick? Nick? Yeah. Um I know that you probably are are you know kind of um, taken by or have a hold a special place in your heart with the uh, Virgin paint schemes. Yeah, the um, the initial ones weren't really brilliant, but they haven't really changed that much. They what they've done is uh, go for a style of paint and a color that I think really reflects the airline's um, character. So the kind of bright lipstick red that uh, they currently have that uh, is metallic and uh, really glistens it look, looks fantastic I, I love it 
Um, mm-hmm. That's great. But uh, that's common with a lot of airlines. In fact, Varig, we used to have that really uh, nice-looking go-faster stripe down there, mm-hmm. now just has um, a coloured tail and Varig written down the fuselage or did it once uh, it dropped the old scheme at the end of the century. Uh, and moved into the new one. Uh, my personal like, uh, I've always liked the Cathay Pacific um, uh, paint scheme, which uh, really revolves around a uh, their logo, which I think was very clever. They they made it look like a uh, sort of seagull bird in flight, just very simple shape. Uh, but it looks like it's drawn uh, by a calligraphy brush, a Chinese calligraphy brush. Uh, and I always thought that was very elegant. Uh, and they didn't overdo anything. They had, <laughs> they, yeah, it was a bit of a joke initially. They painted the uh, a big, broad color around uh, the bottom half of the aircraft, which is a kind of very pale gray, and then everyone said it looks like the airplane had been dipped in the harbour. <laughs> and it was <laughs> the waterline. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, no, it had very, very nice. But most airlines nowadays, uh, except for those really exotic ones, just have the, the, the fin and then simple lettering down the fuselage or and, and or on the belly, which I quite like. And then they often have a little niche thing, whether it be the winglets or something, which uh, stand out well and make them uh, very easy to see. I always liked the red engines on a version because when you looked up at the aircraft, you could almost always tell what airline it was. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you know other airlines started picking up on that. And I don't know whether it was deliberate or not, but a number of airlines use that trick of having bright red engines yeah uh, but i think there's a lot of time and effort put in uh, by the um the corporate departments of these various airlines to get their image across and uh um for me um yeah they they, they don't make many mistakes but there are some really nice ones out there that look very chic yeah. Not, to, not to plug for the home team, but I do like the new Air Canada livery, I have to say. Well, Liz is uh, plugging for the home team. Um, she says she really does love the new Air Canada livery. That that black uh, with the uh, black red with maple the leaf? Red, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the maple leaf is very, I mean, it's, it's a very clear and distinctive logo. And, and you, so you can't mix, you can't miss it. It's a bit like that. Ugly mess they've got on Alaska's. I mean, it's an ugly mess, but you know it's Alaska, don't you? Cause that's Abraham Lincoln on the on the tail. Yeah, that's hey, the one. Yeah. Uh, and, Just and kidding. I it's, not, think... it's not really Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> well, he hasn't yeah. got his top hat on for a start. Right. That's why it's hard but, to recognize. Uh, Okay. There you go. Um, I think uh, main man Micah in our live audience is saying that uh, something about the uh, the old uh, Braniff livery, and I don't oh, know, yeah. that was a little too exotic for me. That it was like super bright modern it's like pop colors. art. Yeah, like pop art on the uh, on the jet. Uh, not my not my particular cup of tea, but um, anyway, lots of lots of great examples of great liveries out there. Should we stop the video? All right. Yes, we'll stop the video. Thank you. Thank you very much, Liz. And uh, (laughs) no love for Air Force Gray. (laughs) Well, you know, I guess if different strokes for different folks, I haul boxes. Well, I I flew a lot of gray airplanes. They don't stay clean for very long. That's the problem. Well, you would think that that dark gray would be a good way to hide all the dirt, right? 
Well, Maybe. not really. Not when no. black boots scrub black messes and all the oil and stuff. Just because oh. it's a, a matte finish, a non-reflective finish, oh, yeah. uh, it just soaks up all the dirt, and they start looking like a filthy mess after a while. Mm. I quite like the um, the green and grey that uh, the Air Force had uh, on our Phantoms before it went pure defence. That was kind of mm -hmm. a um, a forest uh, camouflage colour. They always look good. We uh, always joked around. One of the paint schemes on the uh, C-141 Starlifter was a kind of a, a green and gray camo. And we called it the lizard because uh, it had that, it looked like a lizard. Um, and it, we always joke around when we're like driving in the crew van to the airplane and and people go, oh, I, where is the airplane? I can't see the airplane. I can't see. Yeah. Uh, because you know, it's camouflaged. Um, anyway, uh, Jonathan sends us some feedback, uh, regarding, uh, pronunciation, which I don't know why he thinks that we need any help with that. Uh, he says a bit of pronunciation help for you all. Uh, Guangzhou is pronounced Guangzhou. I'm not Chinese and don't speak Mandarin, but I've taught journalism. Yep. I'm one of them. <laughs> Hopefully not aviation journalism. Uh in Hangzhou Hangzhou. Oh now that's he just spelled yeah, it yeah. differently. Oh, he's really trying to confuse me. In Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Kunming, and Nanjing. And am very familiar with the English pronunciation of most Chinese cities. Anyway, thanks for the podcast and for listening. Oh, what do you what does he mean? We weren't listening to him. I guess listening or reading his uh, feedback, I guess. Uh, sending this from an Acme Junior flight to uh, St. Louis <laughs> for my dad's heart surgery. Just kidding. I know it's St. Louis for my dad's heart surgery. Still hoping we can meet up at some point. Cheers, Jonathan in Minneapolis. Absolutely, Jonathan. Um, you know, in the future, I plan on with my with my uh, vagabond lifestyle and hotel living. Nomad. Yeah, I might. Uh, yeah, my uh, my nomadic lifestyle. Uh, chances are, I'll be going through Minneapolis from time to time on uh, on the way home to my home state, South Dakota. So, hopefully, we'll get a chance to meet up at that point. And I hope that your dad's heart surgery went well. All right. Um, continuing on and speaking of, I don't know. He's do we have room. any? He's in the chat room. Oh, is he in the chat room? Okay, let's skip this one then. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is from Tim Van Ram. You ever heard of that guy? Yeah, one of uh, yeah, he's in the chat room. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, he says, I found this article on CNN about Laird K., a designer in Toronto that turned his aviation hobby into a new career. Speaking of uh, the livery of Air Canada, we're showing that right now on the video. Anyway, I thought this was a wonderful story and want to share it with the APG community. Here is a link to his story. Enjoy, Tim Van Ram. And okay, here's, here's a bit of symbolism. Why is the circle around that maple leaf? Why does it not complete? Why does it stop question. just before the bottom? I don't know. Well, because the circle doesn't um, make a complete. It's a I broken know. circle. It's I don't a, know. Because the elevator doesn't go all all the way to the top. I don't know. No, um, no, no, not no, the sharpest right. sharpest knife in the drawer. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Canadian design. It's a Canadian thing. 
You're, you're never going to understand it. <laughs> um, let's see. So the uh, the headline of the article from CNN Travel is how this av geek turned his hobby into a job. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit. It's a very long article and filled with a lot of uh, photos. And we are just going oh, to show great pictures, a few man. of them here. Yeah, he's very talented. Uh, asked to choose an icon of beauty, most people think of a landscape, a city skyline, or a work of art. Laird Kay, on the other hand, would say an airplane. The av geek who fell in love with planes as a child on vacation has always seen aircraft as objects of beauty as well uh, as of convenience. Oh, this is gorgeous. I, I love the, the symbolism of the V made by those two lines of windows. That's just perfect. Yeah, we're seeing the reflection of the line of windows in the top of the wing. That's a very clever piece. Of yeah, I think that's, I think it's a Gulfstream. That's those that that uh, very classic Gulfstream kind of um, oblong kind of uh, oval I'm windows. Sure, why they've painted painted those two windows at wow. the rear with white circles around. I'm them. wondering if it has like something that. to do with maybe uh, emergency uh, access or emergency egress, and maybe those are really? windows that uh, the fire uh, rescue folks would use to well, break in. I don't know. Maybe somebody out there not very, yeah. knows something about Gulfstream. It needs stream. a nose and a smiley mouth. Well, that's true. Craig does now look like Now I can't. Yeah, an eye to the sky, Craig Messerman says, leads the eye. Yeah, it sky. does. Yeah. It produces a nice pair of converging lines that lead your eye up and, uh, you know, looking where the aircraft's pointing up into the sky is good. Yeah. Very good. So this is, uh, there's a picture of Laird right there uh, with his uh, fancy camera and his uh, safety vest. Um, he says, this av geek who fell in love with planes is a, oh, I already talked about that. And in his job as an airplane photographer, he allows the rest of us to see things through his eyes. Uh, in Kay's photos, airplanes become birds mid-flight, frozen in time on the runway and shot from above. Their wings soar, their noses look like curious beaks. His photos make even details like rivets, insulation, and exhaust pipes ribbit, ribbit. look beautiful. <laughs> I hear some frogs. Uh, planes <laughs> are, he says, beautiful objects of sculpture. Uh, his story is a fascinating one of a man who turned his hobby into a profession. Perhaps the most astonishing thing is that although he's now employed by the likes of Lutanza, Air Canada, and Virgin Atlantic, until a few years ago, he was working in a completely different job and planes were his hobby. Anyway, so it goes on to talk a little bit about his... Lots uh, more photos, his, right? Yeah, a lot it doesn't more seem like we have the one with the wide-angle shot from the back of an exec jet from a gantry. Uh, we don't have that one, Liz? No. I don't think so. I don't think that's one that I... We have. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, be right, anyway. if, you do, uh, if you do take the time to uh, look at them uh, in the show notes, you'll see one from taken just above the fin. And he's used a, a really wide-angle lens to emphasize and distort the shape of the aircraft. So it actually does look like a bird. It's beautiful. Really nice job. Yep. Deborah's so check it out. Here to the question about the oh, paper. Deborah says... That's where you get the syrup. So if if you find the bottom of the airplane's a bit sticky, you'll know what caused it. Oh, the break in the circles where the where the syrup uh, maple comes, syrup leaks comes, from the, leaks out that. Uh, yeah. that makes sense. It makes the airplane <laughs> all sticky. Yeah, you know when you're doing your walk around, you have to be take special care to avoid that area. You gotta you know yeah. give it a wide berth so you don't get sticky stuff on your on your uh, shoes. 
I, I like it, Deborah, but if you have to have someone explain it to you, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> Jeff, just over 10 minutes till the two-hour mark. All right. Thank you, Liz. Uh, continuing on with um, Kurt near Akron, uh, Akron, Ohio. Um, he says, Acme wins. A post from my oh. sister on Facebook. Not sure what the equipment type was or the two-from locations. Uh, her post was around nine o'clock in the morning, so I'm presuming two plus hours in aircraft. And then here's the quote from his sister on Facebook: "Have been sitting in a plane since 6:20 a.m. waiting for the weather to get to a place where our plane isn't a literal popsicle, so we can take off." And the pilot went into the airport and bought us all Dunkin' Donuts. And then Ooh. hashtag Acme wins. <laughs> Uh, do any crew members have stories of having been recipients or givers of above and beyond service? Adding to the email I sent this morning, the flight. Oh, so he's, he's giving us an update already in this same email. The flight my sister was on with the pilot getting donuts was Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Atlanta. It was a Boeing 717-200 Acme flight 1603. Based on the ABG calendar, doesn't look like it was your trip though. Uh, nope. Uh, love the show. Kurt near Akron. And uh, I have yet to find the need to go out and buy Cheap a bunch cake. of pizzas or. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. <laughs> uh, she says cheapskate. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't. I've never been in a situation where I felt like the, the, the folks were being held hostage and I just needed to get them the something to eat. Yeah, just start throwing the vodka vodka bottles, uh, little miniature bottles. And, you know, it's fun. It's like dual purpose. It helps them when they drink it. And it's also fun for us to hit them on the head if yeah. we can. That's <laughs> yeah, um, right. Get extra points. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then usually, uh, my company does a pretty darn good job. If the gate, if the people are still on the airplane and you're at the gate and they deplane, uh, as they did in my situation, uh, day before yesterday, uh, they, they are very good at making sure that they are provided with, um, uh, food and beverages in the, in the gatehouse area. It may be just, you know, uh, pretzels or potato chips or, Whatever, you know, it's no, nothing fancy. But I have seen more than that, but uh, no, I haven't had a chance to, uh, you know, make a name for myself and buying, you know, 50 pizzas uh, for, the, for the, yeah, what about, what about you, Nick? Have you bought uh, pizza for two, 300 passengers or how many passengers <laughs> you hold on at 340? The pizza company goes, paid uh, To do things like that. Um, no, uh, no, we've always, you know. Uh, we've always got Nick, things off uh, at a reasonably good lick. Go back so rarely have we been hanging around for that long. Um, but uh, I'm a great believer in uh, just go back and talk to your passengers. Uh, if you can explain uh, exactly what's going wrong and realize they realize well, that you're that, all in the same you situation, 10, you don't need to bribe them usually. 11, but uh, usually just pretty long. good. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's always the worry that if your passengers are annoyed anyway and you come on with a bunch of something, someone's going to go, I'm diabetic, I can't eat donuts, yep. what the hell's this for? And you'll find yourself in more trouble than you started, uh, mm -hmm. you know. So it, it, unless, I think, unless the passengers are really revolting, 
And if they're that revolting, you probably <laughs> wouldn't want to buy them something in the first place. But uh, if they're, you know, you should be, you should be um, dealing with situations before they get to that stage, hopefully, yeah. and explaining and, and just calming things down. It's much better, I think, to do that than it is to go out and try and, you know, bribe. it's a nice thought, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't necessarily think that's the, the best way of dealing with stuff. I'm I'm curious as to what exactly was going on with this delay, you know, uh, getting, you know, waiting for the weather to get to a place where our plane isn't a literal popsicle so we can take off. Now, I'm, I'm guessing, guessing maybe it has something to do with the snow icing. And ice. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, icing situation so. or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, we've had it where the snowfall was uh, so f- heavy that the de-icing uh, track just couldn't keep pace with it. Uh, they were spraying gallons and gallons and gallons of mm-hmm. de-icing fluid, and it was coming down faster than they could clear it, in which case you just put your hands in the air and go, well, give up. This is ridiculous. I think uh, now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more, um, Meltdown Town, um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, Kilo Mike Island. Delta Tango. Ah, yes. Um, yeah, they, I think their de-icing equipment is a little bit limited and perhaps maybe even shared among the airlines. I'm not sure about that actual part of it, but uh, it's possible that uh, there were other airplanes that were already ahead of them in line, and that's why they had to wait so long. And as you mentioned, Nick, sometimes the the falling wintry precipitation is just so Intense. heavy that uh, it's hard to keep on top of the whole situation. So that could have yeah. been the situation as well. Number 10. All right. Let's go to uh, ten. We're gonna we're gonna loop back to number nine after uh, plane tales. So uh, let's go to ten. This is David from the Birmingham that isn't in Alabama. So I guess it would be Birmingham, not Birmingham. Uh, hi, APG crew. We've all seen the horrific news from Ukraine. We can only hope that the situation will be resolved quickly and with all consideration given to the sanctity of human life. Although a very minor issue. In the context of the ongoing humanitarian crisis, it does seem that the conflict has caused the airways of Europe to be redrawn, with various measures and countermeasures now in place. Many European airlines are, for example, no longer able to fly through Russian airspace, and pretty much all of Europe is now closed to Russian airlines. What are the practical implications of the various measures for pilots and passengers? Are we going back to the days of fuel stops, or do modern aircraft simply have the endurance to go around these blockages? How much will this hit the airlines that are only now just starting to wake up from the COVID nightmare? On a positive note, I will, touch wood, be flying later this month as a passenger for the first time since the pandemic began. As I started listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show during the pandemic, this will be my first flight since starting to suffer from APG syndrome. Oh, no. Can Dr. Stepp advise whether I should take extra shots of go around a cylinder before boarding the aircraft? I'm sure that she would say yes. Yeah, and a couple of boosters. Boosters. Yeah, some boosters, (laughs) for sure. Uh, Finally, I do think that Liz comes up with some great show titles, but these rarely get picked. Crap can. Hmm. I had crap can. Yeah, that that's bad. right. She did. She did pick out the last one. Crap can. Supersonic crap can. Uh, don't go. don't worry, Liz. Your pick will always be the name of the show for me. Look Aww. at this guy. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> her up. He, know, he knows how to get his feedback picked, doesn't he? Exactly. Yeah, you got a little something on the nose there, uh, yeah. David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Uh, let's see. I won't end by wishing for blue skies and tailwinds. I'll simply wish that the world wakes up from the 2020s and starts again. Bring back 1999 and the millennium bug. <laughs> That's true. That was a lot easier to deal with, right? Thanks as ever for the great podcast. Best wishes. David from Birmingham that isn't in Alabama. And so uh, I think, Nick, you'd be best to kind of address his um, practical implications of the various measures um, of these restrictions to airspace over there in, uh, in Eastern Europe. Absolutely. And uh, I, you'll be finding that uh, the flight times from places like uh, Hong Kong or Turkey are gonna, to uh, the, what, Europe are going to be uh, considerably longer without the shortcuts that we could take through uh, Russia. Um, and uh, part of that is just the, the longer route. And the other part is that, uh, you know, we aircraft are having to route to the south um, of, of Russian airspace now. Um, which puts them closer to the big subtropical jet stream that uh, streams uh, around the 15-degree north uh, line and travels from west to east. So you've got a coming home from those, uh, flying west from those uh, destinations, say uh, you're going to be facing a, a, a stiff headwind for a lot of the flight. Um, and uh, we used to manage the year from someone like, like Hong Kong, um, but occasionally, you know, you'd have to throw into somewhere, uh, you know, halfway home um, where you'd take fuel or, or somewhere around Turkey or um, places like that um, because, uh, you know, that headwind just slows you up so much. Um, be, being able to go through China still, uh, I think that will take the edge off it a lot. Uh, um, and of course, you don't want to go anywhere near the conflict area, so people are travelling a lot further south. It's going to cost the airlines more money at a time when they're still trying to recover from the COVID uh, nightmare that they've uh, had to bear. Um, it's not going to be easy for them, but of course, um, you know, uh, we're all going to have to shoulder a little bit of pain uh, in order to ensure that uh, the... Um, restrictions and the punishment that we're endeavouring to put on Russia uh, without actually going to war uh, with them, um, we, we, we have to pay for that somewhere. You can't just magic it up and hope it happens. So we, we'll be paying in fuel costs and um, that sort of thing. Uh, and it, it, it is a, some pain we'll have to shoulder if we're going to make it all happen. But nothing like the pain that the Poor folks in Ukraine are having no, to absolutely suffer. Not. No, yeah. no. I mean, they're losing their country as well as their lives. Well, hopefully cases. not. Hopefully they'll be able to, you know, hold on to uh, it. I would, yep, absolutely. Yeah, we, we all pray for that. Yes, we do. We do. All right. Well, uh, kind of keeping with, um, you know, the Ukraine discussion, uh, it just so happens that uh, the old pilot, I don't know if you all knew this or not, but the old pilot uh, entitled this week's episode of Plain Tales, Giants of Ukraine. Let's uh, have a listen. The old pilot's Plain Tales, the Giants of Ukraine. In the world of Slavic folk tales, there are giants in Ukraine one of which had three heads and bore the name Balachko. Balachko was a fearsome monster, 
as some of his heads had weapons. One could spit fire and another freezing air. One of the giant's dastardly deeds was to capture the beautiful princess Roxanda, the bride of the local Vivo. The warlord was understandably a bit upset, and he tackled the ogre by dodging his attacks until he ran out of fire and chilly wind, whereupon he slew the monster and rescued his princess, who lived happily ever after. This was hardly the only monster to be dealt a fatal blow by brave Ukrainians, and in these awful times of war in that beautiful country, we can only hope that they prevail again. The Balachko, though, wasn't the only giant to come from Ukraine. But the story of one other starts over a hundred years ago, with the birth of Oleg Antonov on the 7th of February 1906. He came from a noble family and was brought up in the village of Troitsky near Podolsk in the pre-revolution Oscar region. His background became a problem for him after the defeat of the Russian Empire, which was only a few years away, when millions suffered for their bourgeoisie upbringing. His family survived, although he was later forced to hide his lineage so that he could gain entry to the Leningrad Polytechnic University. Oleg grew up on the edge of the Volga River, in the city of Saratov, where there were few opportunities for him to learn about aviation. Nevertheless, the few magazine and newspaper articles he could find piqued his interest, and he collected them in a big scrapbook which became a sort of reference book for him, that the libraries lacked. Antonov wrote later that this collection was of great use to him. With other boys of his age, he established a society of aviation fans, issuing a handwritten magazine. Mad about flying, they became regular visitors at a local military airfield, where they were allowed to rummage about amongst the piles of wrecked aircraft on the airfield outskirts. It was here that he gained much of his early technical knowledge. By the age of 17, he'd become an active member of the Moscow Air Fleet Friends Society, and it was there that he first showed his talent as an aircraft designer. At that time, there was great interest in gliding, and it was seen as a way to encourage young pilots. Oleg designed and built his first aircraft, a glider called the OKA-1, the Dove. A simple machine in which the pilot sat completely exposed to the environment, it was nevertheless awarded a diploma for original design at the second all-union gliding tests in the Crimea. He was renowned for his excellent memory and his ability to recall the technical details of many of the world's aircraft. The very same year, Oleg published his first papers on the need for gliders and about paper models of simple gliders. A place at the Leningrad Polytechnic Institute followed, studying hydraulic aviation in the shipbuilding department. But in his spare time, Antonov continued to design gliders, the OKA-2, 3, the Standart, and the Standart 2, 
at the Aviation Public Assistance Organization. Then, having graduated in 1930, Oleg Antonov was given a job as Head of Design Bureau of the Glider Workshops and as Engineer of Factory No. 47 in Leningrad. A move to Moscow to participate in the establishment of the Central Design Bureau for Gliders followed, where he created gliders OKA-7, 8, 9, and the Gorod Lenia, the city of Lenin, soaring glider. His work was both prolific and skilled, and as World War II approached, he branched out into building large heavyweight towed machines that could carry armed soldiers and even tanks. During the war, Oleg was made the leading designer at the Yakovlev Design Bureau in Leningrad to build the Soviet version of the Nazi Fiesler Fi-156 Storch. A short takeoff and landing aircraft that carried only two persons, it was primarily a liaison aircraft that the Soviets called the OKA-38 Stork because of its long, ungainly legs. After Oleg was promoted to deputy chief designer, he made major contributions to the design of the lighter manoeuvrable Yak-3 fighter. By 1946, Antonov had moved to Novosibirsk to work at the head of his own aircraft design bureau. It was here that he designed one of the most successful aircraft, in longevity at least, that he would put his name to, the Antonov AN-2. Oleg once wrote that, Aviation especially reveals the relationship between engineering perfection and beauty. A long time ago, at the dawn of aeronautics, the aircraft designer Captain F. Ferber used to say, A beautiful plane flies well, an ugly one flies poorly. In process of work, the planned aircraft becomes a better-shaped, graceful, harmonious creation just before our very eyes. Perhaps, for a moment, these poetic thoughts left him as he laboured over his draftsman's board because the AN-2 was an ungainly-looking aircraft, a large agricultural and utility all-metal single-engine biplane. To give you an idea of its size, it had seats for two crew and up to 14 passengers. It may not have been pretty, but it was certainly useful. It was sturdily built, so that it would withstand the rigours of operations in remote areas with rough landing strips. It had powerful pneumatic brakes, like those on big trucks, to stop on short runways, and the airlines could also adjust the tyre and shock absorber pressures. The batteries were easily accessible, and a built-in electric pump could transfer fuel from drums on the ground up into the wings for easy refuelling. It was quite easy to fly and had no declared stalling speed. Indeed, a quote from the pilot's handbook stated, If the engine quits in instrument conditions or at night, the pilot should pull the control column full aft and keep the wings level. 
The leading-edge slats will snap out at about 64 kilometres per hour, about 40 miles an hour, and when the airplane slows to a forward speed of about 40 kilometres per hour, 25 miles an hour, the airplane will sink at about a parachute rate of descent until it hits the ground. To mention all the uses to which the A2 was put would take quite a while, so I'll speak fast. It served as a supply drop aircraft, including paratroopers. It could easily land behind enemy lines, delivering troops and saboteurs. Converted to an unmanned version, it became a spy plane and bomber. A balloon interceptor to steal United States intelligence assets. A low-level Ekranoplan float plane. An artillery observation aircraft. After the addition of a Mikulin AM-9 turbojet in the rear fuselage, a vertical takeoff aircraft, and a medical transport with room for six stretcher patients, six walking wounded, and attendants. In its civilian roles, it was a fire bomber with a version that could actually scoop water in flight, a photo mapping platform including thermal and infrared imaging. It carried equipment for measuring magnetic fields, radiation and other instruments for prospecting, turning it into a geophysical survey aircraft for the Polish State Geophysical Survey Agency. It was a crop duster, a passenger plane, an executive transport or VIP transport with work tables, reading lights, a minibar, pantry and toilet a polar research aircraft with an insulated cabin and heated skis, an airborne television relay station, and a high-altitude atmospheric meteorological research aircraft. There were versions renamed the AN-3 all the way to the AN-6, which were given more powerful engines, including turboprops, and in some cases all composite wings or fuselages. These did high-altitude work, and one even became a flying engine testbed. The AN-2 flew for 22 air forces and many more civilian operators, and demands for the AN-2 is increasing nowadays in Western Europe and the United States, where they are prized by collectors of classic aircraft, making it an increasingly common sight at air shows. For 45 years, it held the record for the longest ever production run, which is now held by the C-130 Hercules. Well over 18,000 Antonov AN-2s have been produced, and even now, some of the plants are still receiving special orders. In 1952, the Antonov Design Bureau moved to what would become its beloved home, the city of Kiev in Ukraine. Here it saw much popularity through the 50s and 60s with a succession of successful aircraft, including the AN-12, NATO codenamed Cub, a large four-engine transport that proliferated throughout the East and West. More than 1,200 would be made. That number would be surpassed by the AN-24 Coke, which was a very successful two-engined regional airliner that only ceased production in 1979. The AN-24 was succeeded by the more modern AN-26. The last aircraft that was developed 
under the direct guidance of Oleg Antonov was the massive AN-124 Ruslan. It was following his success with the AN-22 and Teus, called by NATO the Cock, powered by four massive turboprop-driving, eight contra-rotating propellers, that the Antonov factory was given the go-ahead to build this enormous aircraft. The AN-22 had been big enough, a civilian version could have carried 724 passengers, but the new Ruslan was going to dwarf it. The AN-124, NATO codenamed Condor, was destined to be a heavy military transport for the Russian Air Force, but a number were operated by various civil airlines, mainly in the role of carrying very large unusual loads. An example of which was the carriage of an Atlas V launch vehicle to Cape Canaveral and a diesel-electric locomotive from Ontario to Dublin. With a load-carrying capacity 17% greater than the C-5 Galaxy, the Ruslan remains the world's heaviest operating cargo aircraft, bar one, which I shall come on to soon. The AN-124 has a maximum takeoff weight of 402 metric tons, 886,258 pounds, which it can carry 2,300 miles, 3,700 kilometers. However, in May 1987, it set a world record flight of 12,520 miles, 20,151 kilometres, without refuelling. Other world records followed, 30 in total, including the heaviest commercial load ever carried by air, the heaviest aircraft and largest payload lifted to the greatest height. To facilitate loading, the entire nose section could pivot up, opening up the cavernous interior. Its wings stretched across a span of 240 feet, 73 meters, and its fin reached up nearly 70 feet, over 21 meters into the air. Four Progress D-18T high-bypass turbofans hang in pods from its high-set supercritical wings, and it takes a crew of six to fly it. Two pilots, two engineers, a navigator, a radio operator, and two loadmasters, and the military version can carry up to 880 fully equipped troops. Fifty-five of these monsters were built, but now only around 33 are left and many of those are in long-term storage. It was in the 1980s that the Russian military became concerned that the US space shuttle could be used for military purposes and the Russian space program geared up to produce an equivalent spacecraft. The first operational orbiter was launched, uncrewed, flew two orbits and landed safely back at the same Cosmodrome. However, it never flew again, and the program was cancelled shortly after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Whilst the Buran project was flourishing, there was a need for an aircraft to carry the orbiter on its back, and the Antonov AN-225 was created. A modified AN-124, the Mariah which translates to the word dream, was built by the company that bore the name Antonov. 
If one considers the Ruslan a massive aircraft, the Mariah was monstrous. The fuselage of the AN-124 was extended with large plugs fore and aft of the wings, which were themselves enlarged at the root to increase the span. Two additional D-18Ts were mounted on the wings, and the main landing gear was given an additional eight wheels, some of which were steerable, to raise the total number to 32. Like its little sister, the AN-225 had a double set of nose gear that could be lowered on the ground to allow the aircraft to kneel for cargo loading. The other significant modification were the addition of twin vertical stabilizers fitted to the ends of the huge tailplane. With the ending of the Buran spacecraft program, the Mariah was put into service with Antonov Airlines as a large load cargo aircraft, and on the 11th of August 2009, the heaviest single cargo item ever sent by air freight was loaded onto the AN-225. At 53 feet 3 inches, 16.23 meters long, and 14 feet 4.27 meters wide, its consignment, a generator for a gas power plant in Armenia, along with its loading frame, weighed in at a record 189 tons, 417,000 pounds. And on the 11th of June 2010, the AN-225 carried the world's longest piece of air cargo, a pair of wind turbine blades 138 feet, 42.1 metres, from China to Denmark. In November 2004, the FAI entered the AN-225 into the Guinness Book of Records for its 240 world records. Oleg Antonov had laid all the foundations to build the world's most massive aircraft, but he never lived to see its creation. The list of aircraft that came from his fertile mind was long and impressive. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, his company, the Antonov Bureau, achieved global prominence after the introduction of its extra-large aircraft. Oleg had found a home in Ukraine, and in November 1965, he signed an open letter to the General Committee of the Communist Party, protesting their political repression against members of the artistic intelligentsia of Ukraine and discrimination of Ukrainian literature. As long as he lived, he strove to restore the memory of Igor Sikorsky into the history of Ukraine aviation. Aircraft designed under Antonov set many, many aviation records. He implemented some of the fundamental principles of aircraft construction, like the use of compound materials, and under his guidance, a system of automated transport plane design was created. During the 60 years of his work, he wrote around 200 treaties, four books, published dozens of articles in scientific magazines, and registered 72 invention patents. Antonov was recognized as a doctor of science, academician of the Academy of Science of the Ukraine, hero of the socialist labor, and elected member of the Supreme Soviet of the USSR. 
Amongst his numerous awards, Antonov received the State Award of the USSR and the Lenin Award. And in 1999, he was introduced into the International Air and Space Hall of Fame at the San Diego Air and Space Museum. But perhaps his biggest legacy was the Mariah, now tragically destroyed by the Russian military during an attack on the airport that bears his name. Wow. Talking about steeped in aviation history, uh, the country of Ukraine is amazing. Absolutely. I mean, some remarkable uh, aviation uh, heroes have come from uh, Ukraine. They've got a fantastic history. And uh, it's so sad to see that a lot of that being destroyed by this uh, appalling invasion they're currently suffering. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we all wish it would stop, but a lot of the damage has already been done. Yeah, sadly. All right. Wow. About Great an man. hour and 10 minutes. Okay. I have some ugly airplanes, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Despite I don't know. His, uh... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Uh, actually, they, you know, the bigger they got, the prettier they looked, I think. Uh, they looked more in proportion and super. Yeah. I think, you, I think you're right. Oh, wow. Uh, talking about the uh, cargo carrying capacity of that. Uh, that 225 is just amazing. Amazing. Absolutely, yeah. And you don't see many uh, six-engine airplanes flying around nowadays. Nope. And that was wacky. Not and, too and, many. And I loved the flight deck. I mean, it was enormous. It was uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, like the carriageway in a train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Okay. Well, thank you again, uh, Captain Nick, for your weekly installment of uh, Plane Tales. Definitely the best part of the show. Um, Let's see. Um, Now, we have uh, some audio feedback, which uh, definitely rivals uh, the plane tale, of course, uh, from Landon. (laughs) Landon um, sent us um, in a, uh, what is a a, a sharing? Stream of consciousness. consciousness. Yes, that's the the phrase I was looking for. So uh, let's hear uh, what's going on in uh, Landon's head. Hello, APGS. How's everybody doing? This is Landon from the, formerly from the left coast, now on the south portion of the United States. It's more like I moved back to the United States. I may have said that before. Um, got my southern accent back. I bought boots. I've got uh, got me a Stetson, a nice black leather Stetson. It's black speed. Anyways, <laughs> I got. Uh, Got some got some questions uh, for you. So, first and foremost, I heard Dana on the show. I was happy. It's a good time. All right, um, Dana, when you uh, when you start getting some uh, Austin lines, um, you know, let me know. I should uh, have an airplane uh, lined up, and uh, we'll fly somewhere to get barbecue. There's plenty of uh, barbecue here in Austin, though. Uh, goes the same for the rest of the APGs. Uh, you know, you guys uh, ever find yourself in Austin? Hit a brother up. Uh, so, I was listening to the listening to the uh, Vast Aviation 
track for the student that had open throttle, uh, wide throttle. Um, I've actually only flown into Watsonville once when I was uh, living in San Jose uh, with uh, pilot Rollo. <laughs> I was riding in the back while he was uh, practicing some instrument approaches in the Watsonville. And this is probably about a couple of years ago. And then I never got his name and I never saw him again until we were actually in Oshkosh. And I looked at him and he looked at me like, oh, hey, I know you. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know you too. I've flown with you. I don't know what the damn name is. But uh, we became good friends after that. Great guy. Uh, he is now a naval officer. And he's going to be riding in the back of uh, either a Growler or an F-A-18-F. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, good guy. Good guy. Um, so, yeah, that was a... Uh, Great job by the controllers. Great job by uh, the students uh, going to one two one point five when he had an emergency. Um, it was great that people were actually up and listening in. Uh, you got struck gold when he got a uh, flight instructor there. Uh, two situations that terrify me is losing an engine and having an engine that's wide the hell open. <laughs> Those that's that scares me. That terrifies me. I don't ever want to experience that. But I learned something from that. So it was great to hear that. I hate that it happened to him, but I learned. And I think many of thousands of other pilots who listen to Vast Aviation and APG um, will learn uh, from what that student had to go through. And I think it was a great example. So uh, great job there by everybody. Uh, NorCal Controller is also a great controller. I've talked to him many, many a time, just like I've talked to AG and RH when I was still the police back in Durham. And I used to fly uh, used to fly through their airspace somewhere in the middle of North Kakalaki. I ain't going to say where. But on my way to Concord, uh, where uh, Steph uh, flew out of for a while. I used to fly there and get me some Jack in the Box at 11 o'clock at night and then fly back into RDU. Uh, yeah, that's when I was young. When I was dumb. I used to have a lot of dates, uh, late night dates in the air going to Concord and, and Wilmington and Carolina Beach and Myrtle Beach. Let me stop. Anyways, <clears throat> that was back in the day. Anyways, uh, one question I always get um, as this little old general aviation pilots, people ask me, you know, if I'm flying on, say, oh, Acme or Ajax or something like that, and their pilots both eat uh, the fish and then become uh, incapacitated. Could I go up there and could I land that airplane? And I tell people, yes. Yes, I could. It's an airplane. They all fly the same, right? I don't necessarily say that. Uh, I tell them that there's a series of things that uh, I can do up there to make sure that we all are successful in our landing and we are able to walk away. I can't promise the damn thing about the airplane, but we'll get down and we'll walk away. Um, they fly a little... Big airplanes that kind of fly a little different. Um, not too different, but a little different, the airplanes. Um, one of the things that uh, I would do, and you guys can put your five cents into it. I'm just put my two cents into it. You know, just add a couple more. Uh, one of the things I would do is, uh, you know, they asked me if I didn't ask, hey, is there a pilot on board? Yes, I, I'm a pilot. I would ask and see if there's another pilot who's uh, as qualified as me or better. 
And then I would say, hey, look, if you are, if you fly a Learjet on a regular basis, you can go ahead and sit on the left and uh, I'll sit on the right and uh, we'll, we'll work this together. But uh, you're more qualified than me, than me. So you're in charge. Uh, the other thing uh, would be if there is no other, I'm the only, only one, uh, then, you know, I'll, we'll get through it. Uh, I definitely get on the radio. I leave the airplane as is uh, for the time being. Get on the radio, see where the pilots left the uh, radio frequency on last. Try and holler at somebody, whether it's the center controller or, you know, God forbid we're out over the middle of the Atlantic. I'd switch over to one to 1.5 because I know somebody's uh, farting in the, in the uh, microphone and on the air and screwing around on guard. Um, and say, hey, quit messing around. I got a problem. And, uh, you know, try and get them to relay some messages on uh, HF because I have no idea how to use that thing. Or, you know, see if they can uh, relay some messages on cell call or whatever, ACAR. I don't know. It's above my pay grade. I don't know. Uh, get some help. Try and find somebody on the frequency that is flying the same airplane as me uh, as well. Uh, that can walk me through programming the FMC because I am not going to try and touch flight controls if I ain't got to. Uh, all the way up until I have to, and that's for landing. And even then, I'm going to have somebody walk me through doing a uh, Cat 3 approach, Cat 3C approach uh, somewhere, uh, close by, quickly, fast. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's what I would do. Um, I'd figure out how to use a PA system, tell everybody to get in their seats, stay in their seats, do not get up. Um because, yeah, it'd be smart for them to do that. It'd be smart for them to listen at least once. One thing I can't stand, after the pilot turns on fasten seatbelt signs, um, people get up and then go to the bathroom. Like, that's a signal, oh, seatbelt signs are coming on. I might as well just get up and go to the restroom right now. No, do not do that. They see things that you don't. Sit your butt down and don't get up. Um, there's a good uh, video on uh, Instagram uh, about that that I posted. It's one of y'all probably saw. Anyways, yeah, start talking, uh, get some information, find the QRH, uh, just in case I, it's going to take me a while to find somebody to, to talk to that will help me uh, get the airplane down. Um, I'm comf- I feel like I would be comfortable hand-flying the airplane on final approach uh, if I absolutely positively have to. Uh, depending on the airport, like say if we're going to an airport that does not have an ILS or is a um, R- L- uh, LNAV um, approach, um, or if it is a VOR approach or something like that that I have to fly. I'm not instrument rated by any means, but I ain't stupid neither. Um, you know, try and get the autopilot to fly as much of the approaches as I can. Uh, and then uh, take action uh, when need be. Definitely let them know that it's an emergency and I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get down onto the ground, okay? Um, Still a pilot and still know the rules. Okay, that was a long, drawn-out explanation of things that I would do. Tell me if any of that makes sense. Give me some feedback, some pointers. Um, I also think about whether or not I should be drinking alcohol nowadays uh, before I get on the flight. Cause that's always in the back of my mind. Cause I get asked that a lot. And especially lately, I guess within the past few years, we've had some incapacitated 
pilots. Now, it never got down to the point where there was two pilots that were incapacitated at the same time, as far as I know, um, or at least in the United States. Um, but there's been one case where one pilot had a heart attack and died. Um, and then uh, there was another uh, case where pilot uh, got sick and passed out, came incapacitated, did not die, uh, but uh, didn't work out so so well for him. And uh, they had to ask for a, another pilot to come up. One of the situations was uh, the pilot uh, passed away, and luckily there was a C-17 pilot that was uh, traveling uh, to see his family, and uh, he hopped in the uh, hopped in the seat. I don't know which seat it was. Uh, and read off some checklists for the pilot flying. Um, so, yeah, checklists are your friends. All right, that's all I got. Uh, nice talking to y'all. Uh, another thing, hey, uh, Captain Nick, uh, glad you are out the hospital and you are doing well. Um, I was behind on, uh, I was behind on some of the, uh, APG shows, uh, so I'm finding out a little bit late. Um, sorry, uh, but, uh, I'm glad you're doing well, uh, and, uh, you're, I hope you're 110%, uh, 100% is not good enough, but 110% is good good in my opinion um yeah have a little word there <clears throat> but uh yeah one other uh question last question i got and this is a long and drawn out um with the feel of the airplane in comparison to uh my fly-by-wire that uh i fly and, and jeff uh i guess used to fly or still flies um the fly-by-wire feel and the flight controls, and then the feel of a hydraulically powered flight controlled airplane, something other thingy, if you will. Um, how does that compare? Uh, can one of y'all uh, give me a comparison? Because uh, that actually would be good information, just in case you were called up uh, to uh, do the ultimate duty as a passenger who just so happens to be a pilot. Uh, on a big commercial airliner. All right. Um, yeah, let me know. Let me know. All right. Blue, uh, blue side up, uh, the brown side down, uh, Cavu and uh, blue skies and tailwinds and all that other jazz and, and good stuff. All right. Bye. Never, ever eat anything given to you from Landon. That's my <laughs> recommendation. Or smoke. If you're it's an airline an pilot, you mean? it's an yeah. edible <laughs> or an yeah. apple or yeah. I don't know about the drinking thing. I don't think it's a big deal. I find I fly a heck of a lot better when I've had a lot to drink. No, I'm just kidding. I've never, <laughs> I've never flown with uh, alcohol in my system. So just wanted to be. Well, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be tea or coffee, but uh, oh, uh, I'd keep right. yourself hydrated if I were you, uh, Landon, and not worry so much about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you know, uh, all, all up. Pilots are trained to land a single pilot. So, uh, you know, it, you, if one guy pegs it, then uh, the other guy will put it on the ground. It's really not hard, but it's practiced uh, in, frequently in the simulator. So, uh, But, Nick, both pilots know. ate the fish. Both. Yeah, I know, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 one thing I would uh, suggest you change in your thought patterns when it's your turn to become the hero and step up landon is don't touch the fms uh they really are 
they, they take some getting used to, and you can make plenty of mistakes if you're uh, using them regularly uh, as a fully trained pilot. Now, I would get yourself, use the autopilot, yes, but just use it in its three modes, you know, up and down, left and right, uh, and faster and slower, uh, which are quite easy. You just set a number on the one of the three dials, and you'll soon work it out, because if you try and change the height using the heading knob, the airplane will turn instead of descending. So you, you'll work it out. But don't try and program the FMS. Uh, just use the autopilot. And, um, you know, uh, all airplanes land at uh, usually 150, 160 knots, uh, so give yourself a little margin of error and fly it down. Uh, you, you'll get the hang of it. So if you can get someone on the blower just to remind you where the flaps are and how to put the gear down, that'll be good. Uh, and, um, you know, then let our traffic guide you, and they will do a good job of that, I'm sure. Yeah. I guess the only thing uh if if you're in, not in vmc you know visual meteorological conditions and yeah and you just have to get the thing on the ground and fly an instrument landing system approach um having you know something uh that is associated with the ils system in the box would be helpful because <laughs> um I think the Mad Dog, you know, I know the Mad Dog is the last airplane that I've flown that you could actually manually dial in. In fact, that's what we did. We manually dialed in the frequencies into our nav radio. Uh, but I think most modern airplanes now, it has to be entered into the uh, into the box for the uh, the system to intercept a localizer and glide soap and that kind of thing. So that's the only but, you know, I would imagine that if you were in that situation, you'd want to go some place that had really nice weather and you could see the runway. And then, as Nick said, just keep it simple, you know, keep it to the three modes of the autopilot and not worry about that stupid box. Yeah. Now, uh, as regards flying by wire and an aircraft that is you know, just stick and hydraulics, um, you, you really won't notice the difference, quite honestly. Um yeah, there are some nuances, like uh, in the Airbus, you don't need to um, trim. So just point the airplane where you want it to go. It'll trim itself, always for 1G flight. If you put bank on, uh, the <laughs> you don't need to pull back on the stick to stop descending. Normally, when you put bank on an airplane, it'll start descending because now your lift vector is pointed over at an angle. It's not all going up, so you've got to compensate by pulling back. You don't need to do that on an Airbus unless you go to an excessive angle of bank. Um, so, it, But you'll soon get the hang of it because if you start pulling back, you'll notice you're climbing and you'll go, oh, well, that was wrong. I'll, I won't do that. Um, and it takes about two minutes to get used to that. So you might want to just do a few gentle maneuvers, fly it around the sky for a bit to get the hang of it before you start your approach so that, you know, you feel comfortable with how fast it rolls and how it responds. And make sure you have that um, video rolling of you at the controls, um, you know, for the, for the oh, yeah. ceremony. Afterwards. You, you need to get a, a nice, pretty cabin crew lady up uh, to sit and film you. Yes. Uh, and commend <laughs> you on, on how well you're doing. Yeah. Liz, I would not recommend that she sit on your lap. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Not, no, well, if it's an Airbus, if it's an Airbus, I guess she's got could. a side stick. <laughs> yeah, but not if it's a Boeing because she's going to get in the way. I'm yeah. afraid. 
<laughs> it's going to be a, a hot mess. Yeah, okay. Exactly right. Wow. And uh, good was, luck. Uh, yeah, good luck. Do this. That was a lot, Landon. Yes. We'll, uh, hey, you know what? After after you do this, Landon, you know, you'll never run out of beers. It's an endless, bottomless glass of, well, of beer forever. APG oh, yeah. For All those success. passengers yeah. are just oh, yeah. buying you beers forever. Liz did mention that you'll have to credit APG in some way and get our branding in there. Okay. Absolutely. And don't worry about the seatbelts because it'll take you like 10 minutes to find the switch. And uh, <laughs> no one's going to obey it anyway. And yeah. what do you care? So long as you get down safely, you don't really care if there's someone in the toilet, do you? Yeah. No. I know nope. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> might want to put your own seatbelt on, though. Yeah, the Lanny might yeah, be a little dumpy. Yeah, a good idea. Yeah. Uh, oh, and by the way, don't forget, you need to work out how to use the brakes. Just remember, mm. they're on the they're on the ends of the rudders because you get it on the runway probably, and then you'll go, oh, how do you stop this thing? Uh, yeah. And yeah, put but the he, parking brake on will work, but it's yeah, really uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a pilot, so, he, you know, I think pretty much brakes work in most airplanes the same way. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing is the landing gear, you know, is a, is a wheel and uh, the flaps look like a airfoil and, uh, such. So, you know, yeah, well, very good. I love the, um, <laughs> there are so many things that you mentioned in your audio feedback, Landon. Uh, thank you for taking the time and I'm glad that you're all situated in, uh, in Texas and the barbecue. You're going I'm, down there, aren't I'm, you in the fall? Uh, am I going down to Texas in the fall? Yeah, I'm going to F1, be down in, F1. I'm, that's right. I'm going to be down in the Austin area in the fall for the, uh, the U S Grand Prix. And, uh, so oh, definitely have to hook up and get some good barbecue. And, uh, excellent. Number 11. She'll have All right. another convert to formula one. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, it's not a big step from, um, model steam. Uh, railroading to Formula One, is it? No, no, no. very okay. similar. <laughs> uh, let's see. Boom operator Chris uh, sent this Boom in. Boom operator. Boom operator. Yeah, we. Where's that uh, sound clip? I think that's in a it's, in another sound clip a, a that we're holding for Rick. Yeah. Okay. Um, hey, Captain Jeff and the whole APG crew and community. This guy's very. Inclusive. Thank you. Uh, this feedback might be a little long. However, I thought you would get, get a kick out of it. My syndrome is in full swing. And driving home from work today, I was listening to APG 228 when you all broadcast from Captain Nick's back garden. When the oh. coffee fund came on, back when you used the song from the Ink Spots, everyone sang along and Captain Jeff messed up the lyrics, which he pointed out. <laughs> from the back seat, I heard my five-year-old daughter singing singing and has it down word for word i think this is the first case of the syndrome being transmitted to someone else wow, wow. could be interesting contagious um, worry yes very contagious doctor yeah, it is a worry uh dr steph as a doctor do you have any guidance on the proper dosage for go around for a five-year-old the 36 daily yeah. doses are obviously having no effect on me I think that, that you have they, to be uh, older than five to take go around a cylinder. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, they have it in lollipop form. No, oh, so they do have just, a lollipop. Yeah, <laughs> you just have to give her lollipops all day long. <laughs> okay. I'm sure she wouldn't mind that. No, uh, let's see. Good. You know, it'd be friendly. 
it would be great if you could get her singing <laughs> of yeah, the, on, uh, the Java audio. Jive yeah, on audio. Send that in to us. Uh, on another note, probably much to Captain Nick's delight, this Boeing guy is taking his first flight on an Airbus at the end of March and on a 330-200 to boot. I do have a little trepidation, but it's all that an island airline flies from Sacramento to Honolulu. I still can't See, figure the out. Airbus get all the best destinations. <laughs> well, they fly other airplanes too. There too. I, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, why would they want to do that? I, I flew the L ten eleven there, and uh, oh, Lockheed. Uh, there are both Lockheed historic that I flew. piece. Yeah. Well. Okay. Uh, still can't figure out why they got rid of their seven five sevens. That they I know. Flown. Okay. Oh, they're crappy. <laughs> but I do have a question for Doctor Steph. Oh, Uh-oh, she's not here. I've heard you mention on quite a few episodes during the Getting to Know Us segment, when you do travel, you get upgraded to either first or business from time to time. How do you do that? Points. Extra. She uh, has millions of points. Millions and millions of points. Uh, This is my first time flying as a customer. I've always non-revved on Acme. My dad recently retired from them after 30 years. I was even daring enough to non-rev to Jamaica for our honeymoon 10 years ago. Got to fly on a mad dog from Atlanta and loved it. Do I casually mention we're going to Honolulu for our 10-year anniversary when checking in? I'm sure they hear something of that sort every day. Thanks in advance for the info. Yeah, it couldn't hurt uh, to mention it, but let me tell you what. It's near impossible for a 33-and-a-half-year seniority employee to get into the business class or first class right Liz <laughs> we, right on but we, we almost we almost did. on the way back we got it but uh, not the way over to London um and Honolulu is like the number primo one prem yeah primo points um upgrade kind of uh flight that we have uh, bar none yeah. so you're gonna have to come up with a better story than your 10-year anniversary for a start so uh, yeah. start Start putting, uh, you know, sick child in there. Some sort of sob story. Uh, you know, yeah, some other drama story. in your life. Uh, make it a fifty-year anniversary. You know, Going to Pearl golden Harbor wedding where or something. Uh, say that you know you've just got cancer and you've only got like a year to live, and you know, you've got to get a lot of weepy. Get a whole pile in there and put all those stories in, and then you still won't get it. And and get some of the like a ketchup packets from one of the you know the the restaurants in the hotel i mean in the uh, airport and just like break the packages open and just like put like squirt it all over you make it look like you're bleeding oh wait no then they'll yeah then they won't let you on never mind that's a that's a bad idea forget that or you could just uh pay what five ten thousand dollars extra for (laughs) (laughs) for uh, getting up there in the yeah the conventional way (laughs) yeah yeah good luck uh, but I tell you what, we'll uh, we'll ask uh, Steph when she's back with us. Hopefully on the next well, episode. We've got, a, we've got a couple. Items. Yeah, we'll have to move this back uh, into yep, the uh, queue, and then uh, we'll ask uh, Doctor Steph. She's the one that has all the experience with this kind of thing. But it's mostly because By the she way, flies so much. Sorry. She has all those points. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, uh, the the best trick is actually don't tell anybody this, but pick a flight that's really quite full in economy. You know. And then uh, be late to check in. Not so late that you get bumped from the flight, but so late that every seat has been taken. 
And if there's any overflow, they'll have to put you up a grade. So, um, you know, they uh, make sure you dress well so that they, you know, oh, there's a nice dress bloke. We, we're full in economy now. Everyone's checked into economy. Every seat is taken. We need someone to upgrade. Let's pick him. That might work on Virgin, but I tell you what, it ain't going to work on Acme because those the higher classes get full before the economy does. Really? How come? Yeah. Uh, because of all the upgrades. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, bad luck. No chance. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck, Chris. Um, thanks for the nice feedback. And uh, sorry to hear about the uh, syndrome from your daughter. Yeah. Tragic, actually. Yeah. Little girl well, her age. That, that's probably the thing to say. My daughter's got the APG syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Can you mm-hmm. give me an upgrade? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Good they point. They that. might actually say, "Oh my God, ABG." Yeah. Okay. Poor you. We'll we'll yeah. move. Uh, uh, no, full full paying passenger. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they'd be calling security at that point, and uh, you'd be hauled off uh, away from the airport. Um, so don't mention wow. APG. Twelve. Uh, Anthony, <laughs> Kilo India Lima Mike K I L M Wilmington. Really, Jeff and crew, Jeff. We met at the OB200th episode at Taco Truck Airport. It was great to meet you. I was talking to AG at the time you showed up, and he was surprised and touched to see you. Anyway, I have a bone to pick with you. I said you should have an overnight at RDU, Raleigh-Durham, and I'd buy you a beer and show you the better part of North Carolina, not that lame place Dr. Steph hangs out in. Now I see you have an overnight in Wilmington, North Carolina pass on the chance to hang with a fan just to get some beach time kidding of course just wanted to say that i love you guys what you guys do and i enjoy listening on my way to teach people to fly airplanes every week anthony norman man he's out there doing the hard work cfi teaching people how to fly you know maybe he could send in some advice for carolina jeff i'm sure he gives good pre-flight briefings yeah, I'm sure he does. And I, and Liz makes a very good point. Anthony, if you're uh, listening to this episode, you heard uh, Carolina Jeff earlier looking for some advice. Uh, maybe you could help out. Send us some feedback regarding that. That would be really helpful. Now, Ooh. Jeff. Yes, uh, if Liz? If you do number 13, that's going to take us right to the end of the show. Like, yeah. If you want to do that, that's fine. Or do you um, want to put it over and do the other ones? No, let's skip that one and yep. go to uh, 14. 14. Um, this is feedback from Adam. He says, hi, ABG crew. It was interesting. Uh, it was interesting listening to the feature of the snowplow entering the active runway and your comments regarding monitored frequencies on episode 511 at most uh, or all major UK airports and several regional airports, ground vehicles monitor and communicate with tower on a UHF frequency, a 455 uh, megahertz range. This frequency is also a relay, so tower and ground VHF comms are relayed over the UHF frequency, so ground vehicles can hear all aircraft movements. However, the aircraft monitoring VHF can't hear the ground vehicle's comms, which frees up radio airtime. Also, it saves needing to train ground operators up to be licensed to use the VHF comms. I didn't realize there was a there was a difference between licensing. Uh, between VHF and UHF comms. I thought it was all in the U.S. It's all the same um, licensing, but maybe it's different over there. Nick, do you know anything about that? I don't know. 
No. Okay. Uh, I could look at my radio operator's license, but yeah. I can't be bothered right now. Okay. Well, I don't want to bother you. <laughs> um, God knows. Despite, despite being illegal in the UK, the police don't care, though, truly. It also makes listening to the UHF channels more interesting for spotters and enthusiasts as they can hear more aircraft movements on the same channel. Hope you're all keeping well. It was great to finally meet you all for uh, my first time at APG 500 in Farnborough. I hope that you, Captain Jeff... Uh, and Liz enjoyed your time in the UK. We did. And it's great to hear Captain Nick back and recuperated. Well, you know, to each his own. Not mentally. Not mentally. Yeah. <laughs> wishing, we like you, it. wishing you all clear skies and tailwinds. Kind regards, Adam. And this is not the Adam up in the control tower at Heathrow. This is uh, a different Adam. Let's see. Which Adam is this? I think he was at the This PTA is illegal radio event. listening, Adam. Yeah, but it's not the Adam Spink, that's what I'm saying. No, it's not Adam Spink. Uh, Adam Catling is who this is. Ah, yes. Phil Catling's son. Brilliant. Thank you, Adam. Yes. Uh, and Phil Catling was the fine gentleman, uh, the scientist from uh, the Royal Aircraft oh. Establishment, oh, and who uh, organized us uh, the uh, room at uh, Fast Museum. Very and nice. Adam is his fine, uh, good-looking son who uh, came along with him because he's also an aviation enthusiast. Excellent. And uh, Liz thinks that he may have been at the PTUK thing um, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. I don't remember. Not sure I met him if he was. Yeah, not sure I did either. Anyway, um, so... The now in this case, I'm not sure that, and I forgot exactly what airport this occurred. At which airport um, the incident occurred with the snowplow? Um, if it was, uh, I don't. I think it was for some reason. I, I'm thinking it was like a Spanish airport or something, but I don't know. Maybe it was a UK airport. But it's still the thing I have a problem with is that. Uh, while the ground vehicles can hear everything on tower and ground VHF frequencies, uh, the pilots in the airplanes still aren't going to be able to hear what's going on with the snowplow operators uh, because that's not going to come over the, the VHF frequency that we're listening to. And again, I think in this case that the problem was the coordination between the tower and the ground controller. So um, I guess maybe if they... We're monitoring both tower and ground control. They may have caught the uh, the the issue uh, and said and and queried about it and, and asked whether or not they are you sure you really want me to go on the air or are you sure you want to clear that guy for takeoff? We're still on the runway. Yeah, you know, I could see how that could be a, a definitely a safety uh, mitigation. Um, what do you yeah, think? I, I don't think there's going to be room on, on a f busy frequency to let the ground vehicles come on. So much as we'd love to be able to have SA on them as well as mm -hmm. um, all the aircraft, um, in a lot of busy airports, that's going to be impractical. If it's not a particularly busy airport, I think it's a great idea. But uh, the, the split frequency uh, is probably a good compromise, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Liz is saying it was in Lyon, France where the incident took place. Correct. All right. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. 15 and 17, and then we're done. I'm going to skip 15 because I think there's going to be okay. quite a bit of discussion, and we're getting close to the end of the Got show. It. Let's Perfect. jump to 17. Uh -huh. And Kevin sent this in, 
and um, and I and I wrote back to him or responded to him saying um, that this. Uh, well, here, let me read this first. Um, Hello, APG crew. I'm a relatively new listener of your show. Uh, only started listening in the late 400s. Where have you been? Okay, but I've been infected with a serious case of APG syndrome ever since. I'm sitting in the doctor's office waiting room right now, getting my aviation medical renewed, and I happened to stumble across this picture on Facebook. It made me chuckle, and I think and think about how often you guys have ranted about this. Keep up the great work. Kevin from London, Canada. And of course, we're putting the uh, the pic of the, the meme of the journalist's guide to aircraft identification. <laughs> you know, so you have a, a 747 clearly, and it says 737 MAX 800. And then I think it's an Airbus below that one, and it says 737 MAX 800. Basically, every almost every one of these says 737 MAX 800. <laughs> including so looks like an F-16 or something. <laughs> yeah. It's a big 15. A, uh, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of fighters there. Yeah. And, and I love the, uh, the light aircraft. That's even better. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So no wonder they have such a hard time figuring yeah. out what uh, picture to put, uh, to match it up with their, uh, with their article. Absolutely. Just, just about yeah. every aircraft is a Cessna, except the Cessna, <laughs> which is called a Piper. And, yeah. um, uh, oh, it looks like the AN2 that I was just talking about, which is called a DC3. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so I did uh, reply to Kevin and, and tell him that uh, we ha- we have seen this before and chuckled about it ourselves, but it it was worth mentioning on the show again. So thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, welcome aboard the uh, APG crew or the community, and um, great to have you here with us. And who was it that is the uh, avia- the uh, the journalist, not aviation journalist, but was it um, Jonathan in? Um, in Minneapolis, I think, that uh, was said he's a journalist. Oh, yes. he, yeah, he taught journalism. Yeah, so or you taught journalism, so maybe he can uh, use this uh, this chart yeah, for. Uh, I'm sure it'll be useful for him. Yeah, it'll be useful for him. All right, that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you very much for being with us, uh, all of you in the uh, live chat, the uh, live audience, and uh, hey, if you get a chance. Uh, and you follow us on Twitter and Facebook and notice that we're going to be recording a show. Of course, this week it was kind of hit and miss, but usually we uh, are, you know, we, we are pretty good at nailing down uh, when we're going to be doing the show. And we also put it on the uh, APG calendar, which is on our website. Uh, but if you have a chance, if you're available, uh, please join us uh, when we're doing the live recording. I think you'll enjoy hanging out with the cool kids in the uh, live audience and uh, see how the sausage is made. Um we have a website called AirlinePilotGuide.com where you can find out about the ABG community calendar and uh, ABG library and merchandise and more information about the plane tales, uh, information about the community and the crew and so much more. Check it out, AirlinePilotGuide.com. We're also on social media or what I like to call the Sochmeads. I could do that if you like. I was hoping that you would. Okay, uh, we're on Faceplant, that wonderful uh, communication uh, empire. <laughs> wonderful. And yeah, absolutely. And you just need to go uh, Facebook and uh, type in their search engine, airline pilot guy, all one word. And if you're uh, if you're a twatterer, 
um, and you want to go onto Twitter uh, with all the other twats, and you can <laughs> find us uh, by or speak to us anything to us at a, at APG Crew. Very similar to the uh, Grams, the Instas, the Instagrams, uh, APG Crew. All one word again. Yes, and we also have a, a quasi-social media kind of thing that was uh, established by and managed, maintained by uh, the young man named Hillel. And uh, let's see if he happens to be here today in Roswell in the... Uh, wow. Well, yeah, Has he I think been he hiding out in your house down there? He has. He's been, He's been very with your wife hey, now. you want to do slack? Okay, but I'm wet. Okay, well, come on over here and uh, okay. sit down. He's selling and... it soon. He won't matter. Won't yeah. mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, more than we wanted to know. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, hear what you have to say about Slack. Hello? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Be careful uh, putting your pants on. It's caught in my zipper, Jeff! Oh, too late. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's Slack for you right there. And also, we want to say Hello's thank you. Jewish, isn't he? And we want to say a, a big thank you to <laughs> Liz, our producer director in Toronto, uh, for all the hard work that she does, uh, mostly between Cheers, shows, well but also while we're doing the show. Fantastic. Yes, thank you, Liz. Brilliant job. Well, they got excited again. And uh, with that, it's now time for us to say goodbye, and hopefully we'll see you again next week on the next episode, and wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and talons, Douglas. Bye, everybody. Cheerio. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline pilot guy I fly America oh airline pilot guy he can't land in heavy fall oh I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly